Another Tishabav. <coughs> Another year of sitting on the floor. Another year of Tsaris for Klal Yisrael. <coughs> Last year, we sat here all with masks. Try to be a little social distanced. There was no Hazus Nashim. It was a year, a challenging year that continued. But as the challenges changed, Tsaris over the last few months for Klal Yisrael. <clears throat> Many years ago, there was a meeting, I think, of Torah Masora. And there was a talk about teaching the curriculum of Holocaust, about the Holocaust in the yeshivas and in the Pesachives. And the question was, what exactly is the focus? And of course, there was a lot of Ashkafa that was thrown out by different Chashuvim of what we should focus on. But the Novominsker Rebbe, Zechreinu Levracha, stopped everybody and he said that there's something more important than the Hashkafa of Mazois also Hashem Lanu. Not more important, more important to focus on at least to start. And that is the concept of Bimitzar Bitsarosim Shal Yisrael. We have to teach the concept that Kla Yisrael is in it together. And when Kla Yisrael is Bitsara, everybody is Bitsara. And when the Zatsara, he said, like the Holocaust happened to Kla Yisrael, we have to teach our children the concept of Bimishtatav Bitsarasam to us in the view of Golos. It's the most recent of tragedies on that magnitude. And that's where we focus. But we have to teach ourselves and we have to teach our children. Number one is that when Klai Yisrael has its sorrow, when Klai Yisrael had its sorrow, it's our job to learn about it and to connect with it just for one reason itself, and that is to realize we're all one. And Klai Yisrael's sorrow is our sorrow. And Bamas heard number of times from Rav Gifter, Zechreinu Levracha, shot in the Gemara in Sanhedrin. The Gemara in Sanhedrin said that there was once an Isha Achas, more Kufdalit Amad Beis, Bishchunasa, Shorban Gamliel, Shemais Bina, Vaisa Unfortunately, she lost a child, and every night she would be crying. And Shamar Amad Gamliel is Kaila. And Rabbi Gamliel would hear her, her cries. He would hear her cries, like it says in Eicha, Bacho Yisivke Balayla, Kalabaycha Balayla, Shemea Kalabaycha Imai. Rashi says there, when a person cries at night, people who hear the person, they cry along with him. And the Gemara says that when Rabbi Gamliel would hear her crying, Hoyanizkar Churba Meis Hamikdash, he would remember the Churba Meis Hamikdash, and he would cry with her. Until his eyelids fell out. He was becoming so detrimental to Ram Gamliel's health. When the Talmudim realized what was going on, 
they moved her out of the neighborhood that her cries shouldn't be heard by Ram Gamliel. So Rav Gifter said, what's going on over here? This woman is crying over the loss of a child. Ram Gamliel hears the cries, you would think that he would also cry for the same reason. When we hear Rahman al-Itzlan here at Sarah, if it brings us to any emotion, if it brings us to tears, like recent Saras have hit home for all of Kla Yisrael over the last year and a half on all different levels. We cry for that Sarah. Why is it that Ramagamlio, when he heard her crying, he remembered Khurban Beis Hamikdash and he cried with her? And that's what brought him to such emotion. And Rav Gifter said, and he said, B'Shem the Chavetz Chaim, that the Chavetz Chaim would say that people make a very big mistake. And when people daven, they put a very, very, they stress the bracha of Rafainu and the bracha of Baruch Haleinu. And when it comes to the brachas of Binyan Yerushalayim, of Beis Hamikdash, of Golas Hashchina, that they don't put as much kavon into. They're making a very big mistake because they're busy trying to treat all the side effects without going to the source. If we would have a Beis Hamikdash, if we would have Shechina, there wouldn't be Tzaras, there would be no Tzaras. We would have Bar Melachayim, there wouldn't be sickness, there wouldn't be deaths, there wouldn't be Magefas, there wouldn't be anything. It would be just bliss if there would be a Beis Hamikdash and Mashiach. All tsaris come from that there's a lack of a Beis Hamikdash and a Shechinta Begalusa. So the Chavetz Chaim says, why you da- why? of course Medaf Mespalzayin, of course you have to daven, it's part of the Tvila. But don't only go to the Tafel and forget the Iker. Don't just treat it to the side effects without going to the source of the Machala. And the source is that there's Chorba Meis HaMikdash. And that's what Rebbe Gamliel was doing as well. Rebbe Gamliel, when he heard this woman crying, a personal Tzara, wasn't even a Klai Yisrael Tzara, it was a personal Tzara that she had. Rebbe Gamliel right away heard those cries. And he also was Mitzar and her Tzar. And yes, he was crying for her. He was crying for her and her loss. But Gamliel understood that why does she have a personal tzara vaiter only because of Chorban Beis Hamikdash? With there be, if we would have Mashiach, we wouldn't have these problems. And that's the aside of the mitzdar b'tzaros and shal Yisrael, an understanding that all tzaros that happen to Kla Yisrael, the source is because we don't have a Beis Hamikdash. And as we sit down now to say the kinois. Focus for the next couple of hours on Churban Beis Hamikdash, on Tsaris of Kla Yisrael through the Dairis. We talk about all types of Tsaris, not just the ones that happened Bizman Churban, ones that, so to speak, were closer or are closer to home. In fact, the Marami Rutenberg writes that there's a Zakabala, that we can even be Mimait in the Kinois about the Khurban in his days he was talking about the Crusades as we'll talk about later in the in the morning that there's a, even a there's an Indian he says to be Mamait in the in talking about the kinas of the of the of the Khurban Hamikdash and say the kinas that were more Negea to the Crusades to the Tsaras that they experienced 
And of course, like the Chavetz Chaim is saying, Rav Gifter is saying, B'Shem the Chavetz Chaim, it's all because of the understanding that outs come from Chorban Beis Hamikdash. All of the Tzaras come from Chorban Beis Hamikdash. Up to the Tzaras that we have experienced over the last few months are also, like Rabbi Gamliel said, these are all because of Nizkar Chorban Beis Hamikdash. Every Tzara that comes our way, we have to remember it's all because we're in Gaulus. It's all because we're in Gaulus. There's nothing else. That is the reason. Apologize, the phone dropped again. So as we talk about the Tsaris, let us remember the Yusayid of B'Mitztarif, B'Tsarasim Shal Yisrael. And let's remember that everything comes from Chorban Beis Hamikdash. Everything we're going to talk about today and all of the Tsaris, as I said, that we experienced over the last few months and all the Tsaris we have in our lives. That's all Chorban, that's all because of the Gullus that we're in. And we have to go back to the source, and the source is with the Shlai Mircha Barakabim Toshov. The source is to say by Mincha today, Nachem with Kavana, that the Rabbinu Shalaylam say, Aneinu, Aneinu Hashem Alekeinu, Kivitzara Gedayla Anachnu, that Sara is only going to be solved, only going to be a refuah for that Sara with Binyam Beis Hamigdash. As we go to the first Kina, Kina Vav, Kina Vav goes a little bit with the Aleph base. It's from Rabbi Lezer HaKalir. And as we say every year, that it begins with the letters of Samach. It, be, it begins with the letter of Samach and then goes to Ayin, to Pei. Each stanza continues until you get to Tuf. So really we're starting in the middle here. And the Pashup shot is because in the days of old, in the days of old, they used to say what we would call uh, Yoitzris or Kroivitz. During Shemun during Chazar Sashatz, they would say Slichas and Kinas during Chazar Sashatz in the Brach of Reivon And over there, the last one that said there ends off with the letter Nun. So Memela, when you continue, when we sit down over here, and we sit down to say the Kinas, it's a continuation of before. We don't say those kinais, we don't say those krivets, so to us we're sort of starting in the middle. But they ended with nun, so memela, I mean with, uh, with ayin, so memela, we come to uh, samach. It's going, um, I'm sorry, we're going with nun, I'm sorry, nun. Nun, and then we're going to samach. But Rapilchus Karitzer takes a little further, and he says there's a remez here. And he says that the reason we start with the samach. He has a mahalach in different places that Samach comes with Nun. We know the Gemara and Brachas tells us that there's no Nun in Ashrei because Nun is a lotion of Nefila, Mapalosin Shal Yisrael. But the Gemara says, Afilu David, David Amelech, even though he didn't put a Nun in, 
The next pasuk is Seimech Hashem L'chol Anoiflim. He was Meramez that Hakadosh Baruch Hu should be Seimech L'chol Anoiflim. So says Rapinchas Karitzer that we're sitting down on the floor now. We're sitting down on the floor. This is an Ephila. We're falling down on the floor. So immediately the first thing we do is we start with the Samach. We start with the Samach of Seimech Hashem L'chol Anoiflim to be Meramez that if we have an Ephila. Right away, Hakadosh Baruch Hu is Seimech Hashem Lechol Anoiflim, and he says, really, when you put the letters together, the letters together are nice. When there's a nefila, and then there is a Seimech Hashem Lechol Anoiflim, that brings about a nice by the Rebbeinu Shalolim. And in fact, he writes that by the Miraglim, by the Miraglim, it says Vayahes Kolev Esaam. The Kalev quieted down the nation, and over there in the Sefer Torah, it's a Samach Rabasi. There's a very big Samach there. So he says the Pshat is because Kalev understood that Kla Yisrael is going to have a very big Nefila over here. There's going to be a big Nefila. And when there's a big Nefila, there has to be a big Saimech Hashem Lechal Anoiflim. A big Saimech Hashem Lechal Anoiflim. And because of that, because of that, there's the big Samach to show. Because Kla Yisrael is never down and out for good. Whenever we have an afila, chas v'shalom, and that is our, that is our situation. That's our galus. That's Kla Yisrael from beginning to end. There's ups and there's downs. But Kla Yisrael, Kla Yisrael is never down and out. Other nations, when they're successful, they're at the peak of success. But when when they're gone, they're gone. There's nothing left of the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, all these different empires. They're gone. But Kla Yisrael, we have nefilas and we have big nefilas. But we also have the big Samach of Seimech Hashem L'chol Anoiflim. And as we begin the Kinois, and we go down to the floor, as Rav Pinchas Karatzer said, the end it off, the end it off, and almost sounds like him, it's, it was B'chavona like that, to end off the Kinois of Shemun of, of Chazar Sashat, where we're standing with a nun of Nefila, and that, then go sit down on the floor and be Noifel on the floor, immediately, immediately, we start with a Samach, with the Samach Rabasi of Seimech Hashem L'chol HaNoiflim, this Kla Yisrael is never down and out. And therefore, when we, we put into perspective the Kinois that we're going to say, it has to be with that perspective. The Kla Yisrael always is with the Rabbi Nishalaylam no matter what. The Gemara and Kedushin says, the are we called Bonim and we call Avadim, Rameir Oimer, Benkach Uvenkach Nikroim Bonim. No matter what happens, Dr. Meir, we're always called Bonim. And the Ben Yayad over there says, Amir de Kavart. He says, the Rajman and Tshuva says that even though normally Rabbi Yehuda Rameir, Halacha Rabbi Yehuda. So Lechair over here, we shouldn't pass him like Rameir, that we're Bengach, Bengach, Nikra Bonim. Says the Rajba, over here we pass him like Rameir. Because when you look in the Psukim over there in the Gemara, it's more Meduktuk like Rabbi Meir. So he says, Zakta Banya Yada, he says, I'll bring a remez to this. There's a Pasuk in Mishlei, Pasuk in Mishlei, Paragdalid. It says, Bini Lidvare Akshiva, shall listen to my words, Limarai, to my sayings, Hat Oznecha. So Limarai, Aleph Mem Reish Yud, if you turn around the letters, Zakta Banya Yada, is Lemeir. Lemeir Hat Oznecha. So listen to my words, my son, listen to the sayings of Rav Meir. To the Svara of Rameir of Benkach, Uvenkach, Kruyim Bonim. 
And if you listen to the words of Rameyer, So you'll never give up from the Rachmanus of the Rabbeinu Shalolam, because no matter where we are, we're Nikroim Bonim. And then he says a Peladika thing, the Ben Yoda. He says, Rav Chaim Vital writes, the Rameyer Namal, normally... You bury somebody, they're laying down. We don't, Klai doesn't bury people standing up. But he says, the Rav Chaim Vital writes, the Rameyer was buried Mu'umad. Rameyer was Nikfar Mu'umad. Zakta Ben Yayada, what's the Pshat? He says, because the Svar of Rameyer gave Klai Yisrael Amida Ba'ilam Mazeh, that we never are truly Neiflim. We never ever really fall down and out forever. Even when we fall, we're still standing, because Ben Kachu Ben Kach that's the Yisoyed. That's the Yisoyed of Rav Meir. And that's where Rav Meir is buried standing up, says Rav Chaim Vital, the Rav Yoda, same Shadim Rav Chaim Vital, because he gave Kla Yisrael, he gave Kla Yisrael an Amida, an Amida La'ilam. And that's really the Yisoyed of Kla Yisrael, no matter what, if we're a Neifel, whereas there's a Saimich Hashem Neiflim, there's always going to be a Neis. Kla Yisrael is Benkach Uvenkach, Kruyim Bonim. And just before we say the kina, Hamaisa, there was a 1944 in Zichra Moshin there was a convention of Rabbonim, a meeting of Rabbonim. Gedolim were there. And they knew, they heard what was going on in 1944, they heard what was going on in Europe. And there was a fear the Khalila, the Elam was being destroyed, there was going to be nothing left. How many people already made it to Eretz Yisrael, made it to America? Funds were very shvach. Rabbi Zikshar was at this meeting, Rabbanim, Rashi Yeshiva, some Bacharim. And there was a lot of uh, Yish going on. There was a lot of Yish. A lot of Yish. And even Rabbi Zalman Saratskin, the Znaim Latayra, the Lutzkarav. I'm dropping the call. So I don't know if it's the if it's my phone or if it's the number. One second. These backup numbers you can get. I apologize, it keeps dropping, I don't know, unless you want to put on a backup call. I don't know, I apologize. So the Lutzkarov was there, and the Lutzkarov, 
was at this meeting in Zichra Moshis at Rabbi Yisai, the Torah is in jeopardy, the Torah is in Sakana, the Matzah is Shreklach, and he explained what was going on, everyone was crying, and then the Panovich Rav got up, and the Panovich Rav had just come to Eretz Yisrael, and he said, Rabbi Yisai, I hear voices of sadness, voices of despair, he says, but let us remind ourselves, we have the Torah will never be forgotten. We have and we might be having an afila, but don't forget that the Rabbi Nisham is here with us and we're able to accomplish the impossible and if we want to be we have the He says, get up, yourselves and go build Torah. And that's the site of Klai Yisrael. We could be in the middle of a holocaust, could be in the middle of Khurban, but at the same time, with the greatest nefila we have, it's Seymech Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is always, always supporting us, and that's how we begin the Kinois. Shabbat Surumanim. Keeps on dropping off and on. Will be able to hear if it's on speaker. Will they be able to hear me? I know. I Everyone's on the line. I can't say time up there. I know. Hmm? No, because everyone else still stays on. It must be my phone. We now go to Kina Tess. Kina Tess talks about the Teichacha, the Klalas that happened to Klal Yisrael, the Raksuvas Patera, and 
the end of each stanza quotes different of the words from the Teichachav, the Tzaris, the Klai Yisrael went through. And when we, we, we read about this and when we recognize the fact, we recognize the fact that the Teichachav was written by the Rabbi Shalaylam, that all the Tzaris that we have, that all the Tzaris that we have, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, wrote in the Torah and it's not just something in the past when we're able to look at Akina and see and highlight see and highlight the different places where we see the Teichicha itself playing itself out that in itself is a Hakara of the Amuna and the Rabbeinu Shalaylam our Hakara in the Amuna in the Torah Samas and the understanding that everything that happens is from the Rabbeinu Shalaylam. Went through the war. Was in the war Sogeto. And they had to, they were put on a death march. Death march from Warsaw to Dachau. About a 70 mile trip. On foot. But not walking. They had to run. And he describes... He describes what they went through. Like it says in Eicha, they went without Kayach in front of the Raidev. And those who couldn't keep up were shot to death. And of course, the Nazis were really out to make it that the fewest would make it to where they needed to go. And they said, they made an announcement that any prisoner who felt too weak to make the trip on foot should come forward and they'll get a spot on the bus. About 240 prisoners, of course, unfortunately were fooled by this. And they were murdered before the march even began. And then, when they left Warsaw, the Nazis' dafka gave them dry pieces of bread and some salty cheese. And they told them, here... This is going to give you strength for the 20 mi- 21 miles each day that you're going to have to walk. And of course they ate it. Then they realized they're not giving them any water. Mamish like the Medrash that talks about the Ishmaelim did to Klai Yisrael as well. They had no way to quench their thirst. And the march began on Erev Shabbos Ches Ov. Ches Ov. And the Nazis, they rode in cars and on motorbikes. And anyone who failed to keep up were shot, of course. Some of the farmers along the way, the Goyim, tried to give the prisoners water, but the Nazis beat them and spilled the water on the ground. And then they reached the river, and the Nazis allowed them to go down to the river. But just as the first group made it to the riverbank, they set the attack dogs loose on them and started firing on them. And they killed the first group that was there. And the rest of them, all they could do was look and see the river. They weren't allowed to drink. And that night was Friday night, Tishabov, Shabbos Chazoin, Onidcha. And the next morning, they were awakened very early. The Nazis wanted to get a move on it already. And they all had their bundles of whatever few possessions they have strapped across their backs. 
And the Rebbe, the Kleismiger Rebbe, refused to carry his bundle with Shabbos. He's not going to carry it. So he looked away that maybe he should just be able to drop it without endangering himself. One of his Hasidim was walking near him and he realized what the Rebbe was going to do and if that's, this is his meager belongings, he's going to throw them away. So he grabbed them from the Rebbe and he said, it's only Marbe Bishurim, he said. I'm anyways carrying, it's only Marbe Bishurim. But what happened was a guard saw what was going on and in a minute he ran over and he started beating the Rebbe with his, with his gun. And he pulled him out, he dragged him over to the commander and he says, the Rebbe was, a, was, was performing sabotage, he should be killed. And the Rebbe didn't flinch for a second, the Kleisenberger Rebbe. And he said, at that point he felt such joy that he's going to get killed for not being Mechalo Shabbos, for Kedusha Shabbos. And somehow, uh, suddenly, some uh, nace happened, another officer saw the commotion, and he shouted at the Rebbe, and he shoved him back amongst the prisoners. And the Rebbe continued to march without his bundle. He was, that beating affected him the rest of his life. He suffered from that beating, a wound near his ribcage. And he suffered for many years to come from that. And... They continued, it was boiling hot in the summer, and, and um, they passed through many different cities that had been centers of Yiddishkeit, Sachashov, Kutna, all different places, and they saw what was going on over there. And then Sunday, the third day of the march, that was the day of Tishabov, Nidcha, and that was the day that the Nazis always knew the Jewish calendar and it came a Tishabov, it came any Yantav, but a Tishabov is when they made sure from sunrise they intensified their beatings on, on all of these prisoners and many more unfortunately were beat to death. And the Rebbe marched, but the Rebbe was marching, he wasn't wearing shoes. It's Tishabov, how could you not, how could you wear shoes on Tishabov? wasn't wearing shoes, he was barefoot. And he was saying psukim of Eicha and kinnis to himself. And suddenly one of the guards noticed that he wasn't wearing shoes. So he figured it's a great opportunity for him to make it even worse for him. And he made him walk on the side of the road, which was full of gravel and broken glass. And at that point the Rebbe thought to himself, he's going to try something very daring. And he's going to bend down. And as he bends down, he's like in a roll into a ditch on the side of the road. And he hoped that no one would notice him. And maybe he would escape Pashat. And he did that. And the long procession of prisoners passed by him. And Mamish at the end, one of the last guards noticed him and started shouting at him. And he actually shot at the Rebbe and the bullet struck his arm. It began to bleed. The Rebbe realized that if he's bleeding, that's going to be the end of him. So he took some wet leaves from a tree and he sort of bandaged his arm and he went back in to rejoin the marching prisoners. And he said that at that point when he had been wounded by that bullet, he pledged to the Rabbi Shalaylam that if he's going to survive the war, he's going to establish a medical center for, for Yidin. And this is what he said many years later. Dropped it again. I don't know what to do Be the call. Dropped again. Even on your phone. Must be the number. So he said many years later 
on July 29th, 1980, as he was laying the cornerstone for San Zlaniado Hospital, he said over this Misa, and he said that now I'm fulfilling that promise that I made to the Rabbi Shalom. And eventually, they came to a field, on Matzah Tishabov, they came to a field, and this is where they were going to sleep that night, and they all fell to the ground. They were exhausted, they were dehydrated, they couldn't fall asleep. And those of them, some of them, the Rebbe fasted, but others, even others, they were dying of thirst, Pashat. And the Rebbe said to them, listen, every person should start digging into the ground. Yeshua Hashem Karafayan. And they all began to dig with their fingernails. They found a piece of wood, a stick, and they began to dig. And as the holes became a little bit bigger, all of a sudden, water became, started to flow out of these holes. Tons of water, like there was a spring underneath. And all of a sudden, they were so besimcha, they quietly were besimcha. They didn't want to wake the sleeping guards or call attention to themselves. And these Yidin who were half dead were revived by this water. And they said the bracha, And after the war, one of the Rebbe's chassidim asked him if it was attacking Emesa Maisa. He asked the Rebbe if it's true. And the Rebbe said that if anyone ever doubted the stories in the Torah about Avram Avinu, about the, the ayo that showed up, or the Ber Miriam, or anything that could just show up out of nowhere, he says, anyone who ever doubted it was able to see here how the Rabbi Nisham could provide anything at any time. And the point he said was that no matter what suffering there is and whatever Hester Panim there is in the world, whatever Hester Panim there is in the world, the Rabbi Nisham still loves Kla Yisrael. And that's the understanding of the Teichacha. The understanding of the Teichacha is that no matter what happens, this has all been scripted by the Rabbi Nishalaylam. And if it's scripted by the Rabbi Nishalaylam, it's out the love of the Rabbi Nishalaylam. Klai Yisrael unfortunately is deserving of Tsaris. But it's not that the Rabbi Nishalaylam just leaves us, Chas V'Shalom, he's always here with us. Even in a death march, when their mom is dying of thirst, when it's a Matzah Tishabov, the Rabbi Nishalaylam could bring water flowing from holes in the ground in some field somewhere in the middle of Poland or Germany, wherever they were. Because no matter where we are, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is always with us. But part of the understanding of the Teichacha is also a Hakara of the Emes. When you see something, and you see it's true to be able to be makir what's going on. I came across a, 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 a journal called Bekaf HaKela from somewhere in Cheskel, Harfens or something, Harpens who went through the war and he wrote down, he went through many, he went through Auschwitz twice, a few different places, Gozen, different places, um, four or five different camps, labor camps and death camps that he went through. And he wrote down, I guess after the war, what happened. So one of the places, he says in Gozen, I guess it's called, one of these labor camps, he says there was actually a priest in his barracks with him, a regular good old Goyesha Galach, together with all the Yidin. And they couldn't figure out what's going on over here. What's with this Galach? Why is he here? So they asked him, like, are you like a you know, newly converted Galach? Like, were you Jewish? So he said, how'd you get over here? So he told them, I was never a Jew. Even my father was born as a Christian. 
my Zayda, my grandfather, he's the one who converted to Christianity, and he married a Goyish lady, a Shiksa, and he says, so Mitzad, my father, I'm a third generation Goy, and Mitzad, my mother, I'm Pashat, Doiris already Goy. And he says, I was brought up as a Christian, and I decided to become a, a, a priest. But Lamaisa, since three Doiris earlier, I had a grandfather who was once a Yid, they threw me in over here. So, he says, this Reb Chatzkel Harfin says to them, says to him, okay, he says, but I'm sure at this point you realize that there's something wrong with your religion. Your uh, merciful and, and, and compassionate religion of yours um, that you grew up with, look, they threw you in here. Where are all your Galachim friends? Where are all, where's your whole... Where's your where's your uh, congregation? Where's your where's your people? Are they trying to get you out? Like, w- don't you see there's something wrong over here? So I'm sure that if you get out of here, you're gonna come back to Kla Yisrael. Look at your look what's going on. And he says, "What are you talking about?" Chas v'shalom. He tells him. He says, "I'm a guy and I'm gonna remain a guy. I'm a Christian." He says. He says. So he turns and says, you hear what you're saying to yourself? You hear? He says, "Nah, this is only a few people. They don't really represent our religion." He says, he went back and forth, he couldn't get over it. Went back and forth, he says, how much do you need to prove that everything you've been told is a sheker, everything you've been told is not true. Look what such a religion is able to do to people. Look what, what did we ever do to them? Because we have, we have such a chet that many years ago, you know, supposedly we killed him and uh, we weren't makabel him and for generations we refused to see the truth because of that it's Kedai for this is why we get killed and this is why we're put into concentration camps he says you know, Mimela me you know, I'm a person who uh, believes in the Rabbi Nishalaylam and I refuse to subject myself to, uh, to your religion so they're, look what they're doing to me but you're a member of the cloth you're a member of the clergy you're a priest, this is what they do to you and he says to him, I still believe in the Amos. And he said to him, I hate to tell you this, but you're a fool. You're a bush of a fool. It's staring you in the face, your mama Shanar. And the guy didn't back down, Taka. He Taka ended up dying in that labor camp. He died in the labor camp, some accident with one of the doing some of the work. And he says, you know, we, we carried him back to the barracks. And that, he writes, he says, that was his last stop. He says, Belamaisa. That's part of the understanding of the Teichacha. When we talk about the Teichacha, when we see what Vashtet and Taira, the Rabbi says what's going to happen, and when we see it happening, it's a car of the Emes, when it stares you straight in the face. You have to, have, you have to be makir, what's Emes and what's not. But a person who's not looking for the Emes, a person who's unfortunately like Nebuch, this person who... Taka wasn't a Yid. He wasn't a Yid. His, his mother wasn't Jewish. His grandmother wasn't Jewish. Taka wasn't a Yid. He wasn't a Yid. There was nothing really to come back. Is not really to come back. But he, he was an Emesah guy. But Lemaisa, Lemaisa, in their world, he had a, a little bit of a schmack of Yiddishkeit in him, and therefore he they threw him over the bu- over the side. They threw him. They threw him under the bus. They threw him into a concentration camp or labor camp with all the rest of them, and still he wasn't able to come to Akara of Emes. But Bemis, that's how that's the nature of a person. And when we read about the Taichacha and we learn about the Taichacha and we apply the Taichacha to what's going on in our lives, in our situations, when we apply the Taichacha, so 
we have to come to Akar of Emes to realize what's Emes in this world. Emes is the Rabbi Nishal Elam. Emes is Ashkocha Pratis. And Ashkocha Pratis is Sai Sara. Sai Be'es Yeshua. It's in both times, like we said, because no matter what happens, Kiloi Sishokach Mi Pizaroi. Eichotifarti Mereshai Saishlikum. Everybody's on the line. Look what I'm going to do. The other thing I'm going to try now is not to be the host. I'm going to just unmute myself because everyone else seems to stay on the line. So I'm wondering if it's a host problem. Oh, you know what I have to do? Mm-hmm. One second, first I gotta... You mean you're gonna dial in as, the, as a regular person? What? You're gonna dial in as a regular person. Yeah, that's right. Try this way. Call this a regular participant. I'm muted myself. Mm-hmm. See what happens.
We now go to Kina Yud Aleph. My Kainan Yermiyah Yashio, as we say every year, that by saying this Kina, or Mekayim, or Takana, Dibrayamim, Beis, Perak Lamad Hay, Pasachav Hay, it says, By Kainan Yermiyah Yashio, Yermiyah Anavi. Wailed over Yeshio Amelech, and he says, "Vayimrukala Sharim Vasharis bekinaisem Yeshio Adayim Vayitnu lechaykal Yisrael binam ksuvim alakinos." And Rashi says over there, "Kavu chayk bi Yisrael lahaskir misas Yeshio bekinaisem." They made it as a chayk for Klai Yisrael that whenever they have kinos, whenever they lament over the korban beis hamikdash, they should be mazkir the death of Yeshio. And that is mentioned in in Eicha as well. And that's the Pashtas, how we're Mekayim, this Takana of, of uh, Yermiyo, is when we lay in Eicha and we say the Pasuks, Eicha Yuham Zov, Yishna Kesem and we talk about Sadik Hu Hashem Kifil Marisi, but that's the Chaira how we're Mekayim, this Takana of Yermiyo Anavi. However, by saying this Kina, we're Mekayim the Takana as well. And the story of Yeshio Amelech was a great tragedy for Kla Yisrael. As we know, Yeshio was a king who was a great Sadik, but he was brought up in a home. His father was Omoin, the son of Menashe, both Rishoim. Led Klai Yisrael to terrible Averis and Avedizara. He was only eight years old when his father died, and he was too young to run the kingdom. Others did it until he turned 18. And Yeshio grew up, he didn't know anything about Yiddishkeit, but he sensed something was missing. And he began to search and eventually became a Balchuva. And not only was he satisfied with his own Chuva, he also wanted to bring all of Klai Yisrael to Chuva. And he went around, at the age of 31, he realized that the problem with Klai Yisrael was Avodah Zorah. And he went around with his policemen and his armies to get rid of the Avodah Zorah and Klai Yisrael. And he was very successful, it was one of the greatest periods of tshuva in the history of Klai Yisrael. But of course there were always those who refused to go along with the movement. And they wanted to worship Avodah Zorah, so... What they did was, they made Avodah like on a split door. So when the door was opened, you couldn't see it. 
And when the doors would close, the two halves would come together and make the Avaidazara. So when the policemen and Yeshio and the armies came in, they didn't see any Avaidazara there, so they left. But those people continued to serve Avaidazara. So he was under the impression that Avaidazara had been eradicated from Kla Yisrael. And that led to a very big mistake. He received a letter from Paroi of Mitzrayim, Paroi Nechoi, who wanted a favor. He wanted to just pass through Eretz Yisrael, a shortcut on his way to Aram in the north, where he was having a, engaged in a war with them. And Yeshio remembered that the Pasuk says, One of the brachas is, the sword will not go through your land, even a sword of shalom, meaning or, even a sword that's not here to fight against you, a passing army won't go through the land of Eretz Yisrael. And Yeshio mistakenly thought that Klaiso was on that level already, and therefore he believed that he's allowed to say no. He believed Klai Yisrael was holding by that madrega. But he didn't know that it wasn't like that. And this is the first time in his life, according to Wamshat, that he didn't consult with his Rebbe, Yermiyo Anavi, who would have told him not to do it. Another Pshah the Major says that he did it to ask him, but Yermiyo said no, but he didn't listen, with, he didn't listen to him. So Yeshio amassed a large army in order to go stop Paroi from coming through Eretz Yisrael. And they met at the city of Megiddo, and the soldiers of the Egyptian army were told by their commanders not to kill any of the Jews, rather shoot all the arrows and the weapons at the king. And that's what happened. They launched a full attack against one person, Yeshio Amelech. And Yeshio was hit by one arrow after another. Three hundred arrows pierced his body like a sieve, Chazal say. And Yermio Anavi had been following close behind because he knew that Yeshio was doing the wrong thing. And he was hoping to stop Yeshio, but by the time he got there, Yeshio was already dying. And Yermio bent over Yeshio and noticed that his lips were moving. And Yermio suspected that perhaps he was complaining against HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Perhaps he was speaking out against Hashem. When he bent over, he heard the word, Sadiku Hashem Kifiu Marisi. He was being Matzdike Sadin. He was being Matzdike Sadin. And at that point, Yermio realized Yeshio was a Tzadik until the end. And Klai Yisrael didn't deserve his presence, and that's why he was taken. And that's when he said, like we said, the fourth parak of Eicha, Eicha Yuam Zov, Yishne HaKesem Atoiv. Why? Because gold is different than other metals. Gold doesn't rust or tarnish. So the Navi compared the shock of Yeshua's death to the shock of seeing gold becoming dark. And this was the end of the glory of Kla Yisrael with Yeshua's death. And from there, there's a downhill all the way to Churban Beis Hamikdash. So that's the, the story of Ayakainin Yermiyo al Yeshio, the kina the Yermiyo said for Yeshio. We always talk about the concept of Tzidduk Hadin, just like Yeshio Amelech, no matter what was happening, no matter what was happening, 
He could have said, I brought Klai Yisrael to Tshuva. Look what I did for Klai Yisrael and this is my end. But instead he said, Sadiku Hashem Kifiu Marisi. It's my, the Chesaron is with me. Ramordchai Gladstein, Zechrein Levracha, was Nifter recently, a Holocaust survivor. Mr. Davin, Rabbi Leif Shul, often in Agudis Yisrael Avenuel. And he went through the war. He went through numerous camps. And after the war, he was uh, interviewed by the secular media. And the interviewer said to him, Rabbi, you were an eyewitness to the brutality of the Germans. You saw the devastation of your people, the mass murder of your brothers and sisters. Did you, any, did you at any point lose faith in God? And did you lose faith in the promises of the Torah? And Ramartha Gladstein responded to him and said, Did I lose faith? Yes, I lost faith. I lost faith in mankind, and I lost faith in humanity. He said, How could human beings become animals, and how could a civilized nation like Germany shed its conscience? How could the United States of America and other democratic countries look the other way, stick their heads in the sand, and ignore what was happening to the Jewish people in Europe? So he says, yes, I lost faith in man. But never for a moment did I lose faith in my God. And never for a moment did I lose faith in the Torah. My faith in God only became stronger because a Jew never loses faith. And that's the aside of Tzidak Adin, of understanding that what, whatever happens to Klai Yisrael is from the Rabbeinu Shalaylam. Everything that happens is Sadiku Hashem Kifil Marisi. We don't always understand the we don't always understand, we never understand what the Rabbi Nisham is really doing. But if the fault doesn't lie in the Rabbi Nisham, Chas V'Shalom. Klai Yisrael is always Matzdik Hadin. We've quoted over the years from Averinson and Ali Meroiris. And he was in Auschwitz. When he first came to Auschwitz, they took him straight to the shower rooms, which they knew or understood that this was the gas chamber. And as they're standing at the entranceway, someone says to him, Rebbe, say for us, Apar Yiddish give us a little chizuk, little chizuk in these last moments of our lives. An unbelievable thing, standing at the gas chamber, should turn to a rav and say, give us a little chizuk. And basically he told them, Let's be makabal on ourselves, the Gzeris Hashem, this Gzeris Hashkocha Ba'ava. Not to have tightness on the Rabbeinu Shalaylam. We believe that Muna Shleimah, Kaddish Baruch Hu, has a Chesh bin Meduktuk. A Chesh bin Meduktuk. And this is the Chizuk that he gave at the entrance to the gas chamber. And then when they took them inside and they made them undress, and they're standing there for a long time waiting for it to be turned on again. He turned to everybody and he says, Look what's going on now. Look how white we are. Look what happened. Look how, how, how much HaKadosh Baruch Hu is punishing us. He says, even the biggest Peshaya, even the biggest Peshaya before his death, he could say some type of Torah, some type of Chizuk. He says, but here we're naked. We don't have yarmulkes on. We don't have any clothing. We're not allowed to think, even in Dvaram Shabiktusha. 
He says, look what's going on. Look at the Oynesh that unfortunately we have to go through. We can't even be Mahar B'tshuva. Let's just be Mekabel, the din of the Rabbeinu Shon Ba'ava. Bemis at the end, some nays happened. They were taken out and they were taken brought to a real shower room. It wasn't the gas chambers. They were brought to a shower room. And they were showered the way the Nazis showered them. Gave them their, their uh, uniform. And uh, they went outside, and the Itaka, after that, he continued, and he, and, he, uh, and he survived the war. But he had another Misa that he writes that the SS used to stop them. And they come over to him, and they would say, Tell me, why are you a prisoner? Why are you a prisoner here? And he looked at him, he says, I have no idea, did I ever bother you before in my life? Like, well, I don't know. And they used to beat him. And he used to say, or, I'm sorry, beat him. He slapped him. They slapped him across the face. And they said, the proper answer is, because I'm a Jew. If I ask you why you're here, you're a prisoner, your answer has to be, because I'm a Jew. And this is part of Tzidduk Adin, of Tzadik Hashem Kifiu Marisi. Why we're here? Because we're Klai Yisrael. This is what the Rabbeinu Shalom wants from us. This is what the Rabbeinu Shalom wants. We don't understand his Cheshbonus. We don't understand the Cheshbonus of a Yeshio HaMelech bringing Klai Yisrael to Tshuva. But Yeshia HaMelech, and Yermiyo was even nervous about it. But Yeshia HaMelech said, Tzadiko Hashem Kifil Marisi. And the same thing Klai Yisrael throughout the Deiris. Klai Yisrael throughout the Deiris have been Matzdik Hadin. Have been Matzdik Hadin. With our Amuna, our strong Amuna in the Rabbeinu Shalom. Rosh Hashanah, Tovshin Gimel, 1943. Reb the Rashiva of Hebron, got up in front of before Tkiya Shaifer and he said, We're standing, we're here in the middle of a war. We're in the middle of a war, and we hear what's going on in Europe by the Germans, in Bayes Asherin Shomais. And he said as follows, he says today, Rosh Hashanah, a person who's under the heels of the Nazis and he sees and he knows any moment he could be thrown into the crematorium. He says, what should he be davening today? What should he be davening today? So he says, most Yidin will daven, at least, at least one bakash I have, I should be zeichet to cover Yisrael. I should have time to say Shema Yisrael. And he said, anyone who davens like that doesn't have the basic understanding of what a Yid is. Doesn't have the basic, basic understanding of what a Yid is. A Yid has to daven, you're punishing me. But it doesn't end there. A person has to daven, but I could do tshuva. And the moment I do tshuva, I'm going to become an Ov and an Ahmad. I'm going to do tshuva, and I could say the tefillah that Klai Yisrael tells us, the Klai Yisrael says before the Tkiyas, Yad ber amim tachteinu l'umim tachas ragleinu. That means the other nation is going to be under our feet. A person should daven, I want to see this Nazi on the ground, and my shoe on a, is on his head. That's what a Yid davens on Rosh Hashanah. That's the power of Klai Yisrael, of being Matzdik Esadin, and recognizing that when Klai Yisrael's Chayzer B'Tshuva, HaKadosh Baruch Hu could bring it to Mikotzeh al He says, the, the Yid who's davening only, 
that yeah, this is a terrible situation. Chach, at least I should be able to say Shema before I'm nifter. Is not chapping the godless of what a yid truly is. Not chapping the godless of our connection to the Rebbeinu Shalom. And that is the lesson of a Yeshio Amelech. That no matter what's going on, we say Tzadiku Hashem Kifiu Marisi. so many jobs at once.
What about all the new people calling? Yeah, right. just leave it. Okay, we're getting right there. It's all by shirt. These ones, listen? Okay, we're going to go now to Kino Tezayan. Kino Tezayan is the Kino Zuchara Shirosu Tzor Bifnim. The Kino remembering what Titus did in the Kaidish Akadashim. Titus went into the Kaidish Akadashim and terrible Averis, as we know, in the Kaidish Akadashim with the Zaina. And he was Mecharif and Magadif, the Rabbi Nishalaylam. He took the Paroiches, made it into a sack gathered up the kalim of the Beis Hamikdash, threw them into the sack, took it on a boat, back home. And as we know the story of what happened with Titus, that there was a storm, and he said, Oh, Rabbi Nisham, you only know to fight on the water, you can't fight on the, on the land. And Hashem put the little mosquito up his, his nostril, up to his brain. Now, What happened was, when he got back to Rome, when you look at Roman sources of how they view what happened, they relate how Titus came back from Yushalayim, and they write that he had the Menorah, he had the Shulchan, he had other clay hamikdash, and he instructed them, and this is what they used to go around for a victory lap, to go around the streets of Rome with these precious vessels, these clay akaydash, in a victory parade. And one of the historians write, writes, it's impossible to describe the translation, obviously, their beauty in terms of both ingenuity and in craftsmanship. And all the wondrous and precious items were gathered on that day to show the magnitude of the Roman domination. And this is what they used to do. And then as we know, they made a victory arch in the center of the city of Rome with an inscription that says that the Senate and the Roman people pay homage to the Emperor Titus, the son of Aspasian. He subjugated the Jewish nation according to the directive of his father and he destroyed Yerushalayim which military leaders and kings of ancient nations attacked in vain or didn't even attempt to capture. The original arch was Taka destroyed. In later years, they put up a second arch um, at the top of the street in a place where the victory parade had passed. And it has an abridged version of the original inscription on it. And that's the arch of Titus that exists today. They also celebrated their conquest by minting gold, silver, copper coins. And on one side there was like a girl under a date palm with her hands bound, a Roman warrior standing over her, and the words Judea in captivity or vanquished Judea were etched around the drawing. And what happened after that was his father made a, built a building in Rome called the Temple of Peace. And it was... Uh, it was, the, the way they describe it was, it was beyond human imagination. 
It was filled with wealth of the treasures that he had. The golden vessels of the Beis Hamikdash were concealed there, which he says he commanded that they conceal and guard the Sefer Torah and the Parochis of the Kodesh in his palace. Everything else could be in this temple of peace. But the Parochis and the Sefer Torah should be in his palace. And this palace was a place of Bizoyan for Klai Yisrael for generations. Because any time that they coronated a new Pope, they would have a procession and they would go through here and the Jews would have to stand under the Arch of Titus and they would have to give a present to the Pope and the Pope would stand there proclaiming his hatred for Klai Yisrael and the Jews would have to give him a present and ask him and ask him that Rishus to be able to live in Rome even though they're Jews without 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 renouncing without renouncing their religion and this was how they would have to do it for generations to submit themselves to this Bizoyan and in fact there's some Kabbalah they say that Roman Jews had a, a, a Kabbalah that they would not walk under this arch. This arch was a place that showed that Kla Yisrael was destroyed and they had a Kabbalah that they wouldn't walk under this arch. This is the arch of Titus. Titus, who glorified it was such a Balgaiva. Titus, who as great as he was in the world, but he was the biggest Menuvel. Look what he did. Look what he did. Such Nevala in Amakim Kaddish. This is who Titus is. This is who Titus is, and the famous Maisa with the Panovich Arav, who went there to the Arch of Titus, and he said, Titus, Titus, what's left of you? And look at us. What's left of you? And look at us. Fly Yisrael is still here. And we always highlight that no matter what situation, Klai Yisrael always retains who they are as a person, as an Adam, as a mensch. That's who Klai Yisrael is. And as opposed to Titus, look what he did. Look what he did when he achieved his victory. In the Warsaw Ghetto, there was a big shaila about having chasanas during the Holocaust. Should they, should they not have? Later on, there was a discussion about rescue marriages because they thought that if the Nazis were going to perhaps, um, perhaps save uh, not uh, kill out couples so quickly. Only singles. That was a different machlokes that occurred if such a thing should happen. But there was Stamashila, Even regular marriages should they take place during the war. Rav Aronson, who was in Warsaw at the time, has a tshuva about it, and he writes in Tafshin b'Mahamad Rabbanim Chashuvim in Warsaw. He felt that they should not be Masada the Kedushin. He felt for numerous reasons. Aguna, there's going to make problems of Agunas later on. There's going to be problems of hiding. Single girls could hide easier. Um, if, if, the, if, the, if the women become expecting, it's going to be a problem for them, going through camps and things like that. 
Also, Rahman al-Islam, there was a lot of Hefkeris and Znus and things like that that he was nervous about. It shouldn't be Aisha's Ish. What about Mikvois? At that time in Warsaw, the Nazis had closed all the Mikvois. They couldn't get them open. This was his reasoning, but there was a big meeting of Rabbanim and it went back and forth. Went back and forth. So one of the writers in Warsaw describes his own daughter's wedding at the time. And uh, he says that his daughter wanted to get married. They saw what was going on. He wasn't so happy about it, getting married now. But Lamaisa, he consented. And and they finally found someone to be a Masada Kedushin. And the Chassan himself was taken for forced labor on the day of the Chassana. He barely made it to the Chassana. He was beaten. He was wounded. But what happened was, when they got to the brach of Yoytzer HaAdam, Yoytzer HaAdam, everybody started just crying and bawling. And they couldn't fathom, and it was such a stark contrast of what the Nazis, who were supposed to be people, or Adam, what they became, how they became mamish animals. And he says the wedding ceremony quickly turned into mourners, sackcloth, and ashes. Not only the women, but even the men could not restrain themselves. Tears streamed down as on the night of Tishabov, or at the time of the funeral of a great Jewish leader. And that was because of this Hakara. The Hakara, that the difference between a Titus and a Klai Yisrael, the difference between a Nazi and a Klai Yisrael, no matter where we are, no matter what happens to Klai Yisrael, Klai Yisrael remains a Klai Yisrael. Klai Yisrael remains with that Anushius, with that Selim Aleikim. No matter what they do, they can't take that away from us, and that's something that we Taka don't lose. Mashenkein, Mashenkein, what they become, they Pasha become animals. And that's the, that's the Yisai, the Brach of Yoytzer HaAdam. Yoytzer HaAdam remains an Adam. Atem Kruyim Adam, Vein Akam Kruyim Adam. Atem Kruyim Adam, that's the Brach of Yoytzer HaAdam for Klai Yisrael. We remain a Klai Yisrael, we remain a Mensch. We keep our Tzalem Alekim no matter what circumstances we are. Mashenkein, look what they become. In situations where such a nation like Germany, such a culture nation, such manners, look what happens to them when they become who they became. And when we talk about Kla Yisrael, when we talk about not losing who we are, could you imagine in the camps of Aronson and one of his Shilas, he talks about Natilis Yadayim. He says, even in the camps, he says, we wash tried as much as possible. I don't know which camp it was at the time, it was in numerous places, to wash Natil Sidayim Negovasa every morning. And at least to try and wash for bread. And if we couldn't wash for bread, he says, a lot of times in the morning we made the tnai that's brought down in Shukhanarakh, that a person could wash in the morning and make a tnai that it covers the entire day. The women Old Europeisha women, this is what they used to do. My father says he remembers his grandmother used to do this. Wash in the morning for bread, and that's it. It covered everything they would bench at night. He says, that's what we used to do. But he writes in parentheses, We mentioned in this Gemara recently, the Klai Yisrael is medaktek, that we bench, even if we only eat it, or even if it's not 
even if it's not v'chalta um, v'savata. And he writes, we are mekayem b'male muvan. We, we, this is fully mekayem that we are medaktek to bench only with the kezayis of kebeya halavai. We even had that amount. But we're talking about tahara. Netilis yadayim from aruach ra. Netilis yadayim from tuma. Netilis yadayim to eat. This is a madrega of tahara. This is a madrega of kedoshim tiyu. The major says kedoshim tiyu. Is referring to my Rishonim, my Machroinim, it's a level of Kedusha. Kla Yisrael, no matter where we are, we retain who we are. We retain who we are as a Kla Yisrael. And even we could be in the camps, what are we, they worried about making sure that they have Natilis Yadayim to be able to wash. And if not, there's a Tznai that we can make, in order that we should be able to be considered as if we washed the entire day. That's the contrast between a Titus and a Klai Yisrael, between the Nazis and the Klai Yisrael. That's Klai Yisrael, Yitzhar Adam. That is the Klai Yisrael of Atem Kruyim Adam. Zachar Asher Asetzar Bifnim.
go now to Kina Yud Zai in the next Kina. Him terrible hunger and harigais that happened to Klal Yisrael. And at the end, Ruach Hakodesh answers them. You want to know him techalnu noshim piriyom, because v'miyarig mikdash Hashem kain v'navi. Look at the averes Klal Yisrael did killing in the base hamikdash. A kain v'navi zecharya hanavi was killed. It was a kain and a navi. It was an einish for that. We talk about the terrible hunger the Klai Yisrael had Bishas HaChorbon. We t- could focus on the hunger that there was in the ghettos. Rav Oshri, in his Sefer, the Annihilation of Lithuanian Jewry, he writes over there about the hunger in the Kovna ghetto. And he says, He says that at every opportunity they physically and verbally abused the Klai Yisrael, the Jews, and they said, you gorge yourselves on German bread, they would say to the famished Jews, work and make yourself useful. We're turning you into productive people. And what was this food that they gave them? He says it was about 100 grams of bread, less than 5 ounces per day. He says, no one was allowed to leave their place of work for a moment. Couldn't look through the garbage for any scraps of food. One time a person snuck away into a field during the potato harvest to gather some food. They caught him, they beat him so terribly, he lost his ability to speak or to hear. And they would as they came back in from their work into the ghetto, they would check the Jews to make sure that there's no, the prisoners to make sure that they didn't have any food on them. And they used to boast, and this really ties into the last kina, the Germans used to boast that their goal was to turn the Jews into animals. He says, I remember one German used to say, perhaps some Jews will survive, but those who do will be two-legged beasts. That's what their kavana was. But as we saw from the last kina, when we see a Klai Yisrael, that doesn't happen like that to us, no matter what happens. And he continues and he says that it's interesting, another goes also towards the last kina. He says, one night a man died in his room and it was so cold that the people who shared the room couldn't eat outside. And if they didn't eat before going to work, they would die. So he writes, they were forced to eat in the presence of a mace. It's like here they are, Pashat, starving. And it's like on their minds, maybe we can't eat. There's an Isra to eat in front of a mace. But they, Pashat, had no choice. And this was they were forced to do. And they, this, is who, this is who they are. This is the Germans turning them into animals. Klai Yisrael never gets turned into an, animals, into an animal. But in their attempt to dehumanize the Jews, they especially focused on the children. And he says, I can't forget a scene that I witnessed. He says, a German soldier called a group of starving and weary children to him and slowly cut up a potato and threw the pieces down in front of them the way one throws food to a hungry dog. And he wanted the Jews, the kids, to fight over the one little piece of potato. He knew they were starving, starving 
And he knew they wouldn't be capable of not falling over it and almost <coughs> killing each other for that piece of potato. This is what he wanted. This is what they were trying to do to us. And that was the starvation. And he writes, that time Rav Ashri was teaching Torah to some teenage boys. And he said to them, the Germans are trying to take away from us what they cannot conquer within us. And he says, they're trying to take away our Tzalem Elikim. That they could beat us, they could persecute us. That we can never lose. But they're trying their best to do it. And he said to them, I know you're hungry, but remember, we have to show them that even when we're hungry, we refuse to lower ourselves to their level. That's who Klai Yisrael is. He says there was one boy, who was the son of a Rav, who stood up and says, Rebbe, you don't think, we're, you think we're unaware of this? You think we're unaware of this, what they're trying to do? He says, but what should we do? We're starving. We're starving. As the Gemara in Baba Basra says, hunger is worse than the sword. Hunger is worse than the sword. He says, we know you're right, but what should we do? Lamaisa, at the end of the day, we're starving. And Ravashi said, I had no answer for him. I had no answer for him. This is the terrible hunger that there was, Bishas HaKhorban, as we learned about in Eicha, and throughout the Doiris, the terrible hunger that there was for Kla Yisrael. But here, you see, it wasn't just out the hunger. Again, they were trying to be Mavat of Kla Yisrael, to bring them to, down to their level. But Kla Yisrael, to the best of our ability, we try to stand up to be the Yitzhar HaAdam. We try to stand up and not lose that Salam Aleikim. We always say that the Medrash over here on this Pasukim, Teichal Nunash Imperium, says an interesting pshat. The Medrash, I heard this from Avrevda, Zechariah Nebracha, many times. The Medrash says, the Medrash says that, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I want to punish Kla Yisrael, but my children ain't manichem, I see. They don't let me do it. Why don't they let me do it? Because they do so much chesed even when they're suffering. And the Medrash says, Amaisa, that there was a lady whose child was nifter, and she didn't have pashat food for the Sudas Havra. And her neighbor, who had a little piece of bread just for herself, split it up and took it out of her own children's mouths to be able to give it to do a chesed and give it to her neighbor for a Sudas Havra. So the Medrash says, Imperium, the Pshad is because they took the food out of their own children's mouth to go do chesed for somebody else. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, when that happens, Kala Yisrael is not letting me do what I want to do with the punishment I want to bring to them. That's how Kala Yisrael is. I just heard a Misa recently about the person who told to me knows, so to speak, uh, second hand, the people who hear the Misa from know the actual people of the story, Amisa Misa, that there was once a Gaisha waiter, worker for a caterer. He worked for a Gaisha caterer, all Gayim. And of course, you know how it is, there's always leftover food. There's always leftover food. And one day he said to the owner, he said, listen, you know, why are we throwing this food out? There's so many homeless people who need food. Let's take the food and I'll give it to the homeless and at least they won't, you'll have something to eat. So he said, okay, what do I care? And he did. And he let, he let him go every once in a while. He would take boxes and bags of food to the homeless and he would give it out. And there was one lady who refused to take food from him. She refused to take food. And after a little while, he asked her, he said, how come you, you don't want to take food? You're starving. And she said, I don't take food from Jews. He said, I'm not Jewish. I don't know what you're talking about. 
So I'm not Jewish. <laughs> she says, I don't take food from Jews. She says, hello, I'm not Jewish. She says, only a Jew could do what you're doing. You have to be Jewish. And I don't take food from Jews. <laughs> and he said, okay. And he went and he was by Diktaka. He went and he was by Diktaka. He went and he was by Dik. And he found out that Itaka was Jewish. And his parents had never told him. And he started looking into it. I know it sounds like a Baba Maisa and a fabulous story, but it's a Maisa Shahaya. And he ended up becoming from, and he has children today who are B'nai Taira. Children today are B'nai Taira. Why? Because she looked at him and she said, only a Jew could do what you're doing. I don't take food from Jews. That's who Kla Yisrael is. Even if a person doesn't know he's a Jew, he has in him the Midas of Kla Yisrael, of Goim Chasadim, of Rachmanim. In Techal Nanosh Imperium, Kla Yisrael takes the food out of the mouths of others to do chesed. And even in this case, Rabbi Nisham sees the mysterious nefesh to do chesed. When we're looking for Rachmanus from the Rabbi Nisham, can you imagine B'Shas HaKorban, the Rabbi Nisham, with all the Einshim that he brought, he says, I wanted to do more, but ain bonai manichem I see. My children don't allow me to do it. That's the power of chesed, and that's the power of Kla Yisrael. Im teichal nanashim We're going to go now to Chaf Aleph. Asaru Gemalchus, Arzalavona, Nadira Atayra. Asaru Gemalchus, the great Gedolim and Sadikim.
killed by the Romans. As we know the story, when we talk about the Asar Ruge Malchus, we talk about the godless of Klai Yisrael, each of these great Tanoim, each of these great Tzadikim, as they went and were Nifter Akidish Hashem, Ravashri talks about different people, people in the ghettos, in the ghetto who were Moisir Nefesh Akidish Hashem. In one place he talks about when the Nazis invaded Lithuania at the end of June of 1941. They were aided by the Lithuanian Lithuanian Goyim. And they came into the Shul in Kovna in the middle of Shacharis on a Thursday morning. And they came in with the Kovna Shabbos guy. The Shabbos guy who everyone thought was a friend of the Eden. And he was the one who came in and he was going to show the Nazis exactly who the Chashuvim were and who were the people that they should focus on. And he showed off to them that he spoke Yiddish and he knew all the right words to say. And to them, they couldn't believe it. This person was, had been their friend, so to speak. This person had been the friend of the Jew, Jews and now he betrayed them. And... So he went in to the, they went into the, to the shul and he told everyone to stop davening. He told everyone to stop davening. And everybody ignored him. None of them cried. None of them moved. They continued to daven. And they stood there, he writes, proud and courageous, wrapped in the talesim with their tefillin, looking straight into the murderers' faces. And the Germans and the Lithuanians, both of them, he calls them both Nazis, they seem taken aback for a moment by the fearlessness of these men. But of course it didn't take a moment, they attacked them, they beat them. And then they led them through the streets of Kovna in their blood-stained talesim. And even in this condition, not a single one broke down. They walked upright, wrapped in their talesim, wearing their tefillin. They were led to the bank of the river there, Vilia River, that runs through the center of town. And they were ordered to dig ditches, and still wearing their talesim and their tefillin, reminding them of Hashem Echad. They dug their own graves. And an eyewitness later said, when you looked at this scene, they stood so tall and brave, it seemed as if the Germans were the captives, and the Jews were the victors. That's how it seemed. That's how they went to their death. And of course, the Nazis just gunned them down there, straight into the ditches they had dug for themselves. Another personality he talks about was a Yid named Chaim Luft. He was a Talmud of Slavodka. He came from a city called Litian. It's called, he was known as Chaim Litianer. And he was arrested during the first days of the German occupation. And 
two Lithuanians entered his room and he was standing also wearing his talis and his, wearing his tefillin, I'm sorry, he was a bachar, he was davening shachris. And one of the Germans saw him with his tefillin and said to him, Oh, you're a rabbi. Come for a walk and we'll show you how we treat rabbis. So he says, It's not a problem, just wait till I finish davening, then I'll go with you. And of course they didn't wait. They tore the tefillin from his head. They dragged him out of the house. And he continued davening the entire way, way as they were out loud. As he was, they were taking him to the ninth fort. Ninth fort where hundreds and thousands of Yidin were killed over there. In, 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 in Kovna. This is Mekadshe Shamayim. These are the people of Mekadshe Shamayim. Remind us of the Asara Haruge Malchus. There was another Yid. His name is Yerachmiel. And he was a porter. He was a porter, a very strong, strong person. And on the fourth day of the Slabodka pogrom, also right in the beginning there, at the end of June, when the Nazis came in to, to, to uh, Lithuania, so it was Shabbos Mavarchim. And Rav Ashti said he was looking for a minion. And he found uh, what was called the shoemaker's cloys. Little, little shul. Its entrance wasn't visible from the street. So they had a minion there for Shabbos Mavarchim. And all of a sudden, as they were during Kriya Satira, they, I'm sorry, they had just put it, they, during Kriya Satira they heard shouts that they were discovered. So they put the Torah right back in the Arna Kaidesh in order that uh, hopefully it should be saved. And four Lithuanians burst in there and they started screaming, we caught you, you're planning a rebellion against the Germans to escape to Palestine. And they came in and they started beating everybody. And then they lined everyone up two by two. Ravashri was one of those people there. And they realized that they're taking them to the ninth fort. That's going to be the next stop where they were taking these Eden. And one of the Bachram there, his name was Itchamoshi, said, Rabbi, can I, die, can I say Vidui on Shabbos? And he whispered back, he says, if you die on Shabbos, you could say Vidui on Shabbos. But one of the people there was this year, Achmiel the porter. And he was a big, solidly built fellow who, as a porter, would carry heavy packages. And he said, as they were being let out, he said, I'm not letting you be led from the cloys to being to death. He says, I'm going to show these murderers that you don't put Jews to death because they are praying. This shames the Rabbeinu Shalaylam and it shames Kla Yisrael. And he sent, and he whispered, he said, you hear me, Yidin? When I move into action, run. And with that, he jumped on one of the Lithuanians and started punching and hitting him. And he was a strong man. There was only four of them there. And he kept a fight up with them. And while they were paying attention to him, everybody else ran away. And of course, they killed him. They actually literally cut him up into pieces. And Ravashri says, that late that night we gathered up his, his body and we buried him in the Jewish cemetery over there in the, in the ghetto. And they put a marker by his grave and they wrote, Here lies the Kadoi Shirachmiel, the porter. This is people who are Moiser Nafshem Kiddush Hashem like the Asora Haruge Malchus. And there was another Rav, his name was Rav Shusterman, Rav Gavriel Shusterman. He actually used to write in papers, he had a pen name for himself, Ben Moshe Yedaber, he called himself. And he was taken 
to the ninth fort for a terrible crime. What happened? He was in a labor camp in a town not far from Kovna. A couple hundred Jews had been brought there from the Kovna ghetto. And of course the Nazis had said you can't daven there, especially in public. And, but as far as he was concerned, German decrees didn't exist. Not only did he not submit to them, he ignored them. <coughs> he said, because it comes to serving the Rabbeinu Shalaylam, he was ready with all of his heart and all of his body. Nothing else mattered. And he said, if the penalty is death, then that's a good way to die. Dying be mekadeshem shamayim. And he said, also, he said, that the fact that there are decrees against the Jews physically, that he accepts as a punishment from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He says, but when the Nazis make decrees that try to stop him from his Ruchnius, he says, that I'm not mask him to. He says, that I'm not mask him to. He says, when they put their filthy hands on my soul and keep me from davening and learning and doing mitzvahs, that I will fight, I will not allow it. And not only will I daven, I'll make sure others daven. Then he made, a, he made a minion in the camp. And they called him the rabbi of this camp. He eventually, in a crazy way, he got a Sefer Torah to the camp. There was a Sefer Torah in the town that was there. And the Lithuanian guy had it. And he smuggled it into the camp. And, and eventually, eventually, two Jews escaped from the camp. And when the Nazis discovered that they were missing, they arrested the camp rabbi as a hostage. And they beat him, terrible yisurim they gave him. They used his sitzis, they had some fun with his sitzis. And they threw they put it on his, on his wounds. They pulled it off and it started bleeding more. And, um, and um, they said to him, may God help you. And he looked at them and he said, if God wishes it, you won't be shooting me. And for some reason they taka didn't. Miraculously, their banisham didn't want them to shoot him. And he was taken to the ninth fort. And at the ninth fort, he also said the same idea. If the Rabbani Shalom doesn't want me to die here, I'm not going to die here. And the Taka, there was a point that people ex- escaped from the ninth fort. And he, ninth fort. And he, Taka, escaped as well. And he, didn't, he died shortly after that in the ghetto. And he says, when I was working and I was trying to get people to, to, to do Torah and mitzvahs and Davin, many people told me the Germans would catch me and shoot me. He says, but the Germans didn't shoot me. Because if Hashem wants it, the Shermans don't shoot. I'm dying normally on a bed and I'm going to be buried in a Jewish cemetery. And he was talking buried again also in the same cemetery in the ghetto. And um, this was this Rev. Gavriel Shusterman. These are the heroes of Klai Yisrael. This is Klai Yisrael, going in the footsteps of the Asara Haruge Malchus. And just with the last, uh, last Misa, Rabbi Yeshua Buxbaum was the Galante Rashiva, the Galante Rav before the war. And he was taken to, the, to, to, to be killed together with his Talmidim. And he told them, before he, on their way, he said, He says, We're traveling to Ganeiden. Zing mitzimcha. You should sing with, with joy. He says, Midavzagin halal. As Merhaban the Schus, so again, so Kiddush Hashem. So we should be able, we should say halal that we're Zaycha to go a Kiddush Hashem. Because this is who Kla Yisrael is, the Asara Rugei Malchus, who were the symbol of Kiddush Hashem in our history. Just continue 
with other unknowns, these few people that I mentioned from the Kavna Ghetto, who knew from these people? We don't know, if not for Ravashri telling us who they were. But this is a Pashat Yid in Kla Yisrael. We go in the ways of the Asara Rugei Malchus, Shem Shemayim.
We're going to go to the next Kinuch of Beis. And this is the first of the Kinuchs. This is the first of the Kinuchs from the times of the Crusades. We have in our Kinuchs four Kinuchs from that time. We'll be saying two of them. It's Kina Chav Beis, Kina Chav Hei, there's Kina Chav Tes, and Kina Lama Gimel. And as we mentioned earlier, the Maram Rutenberg says, Yeshem Edalgin Ksas Min HaKina HaKaliri, there's some who skip some of Rebbe Lezer HaKalir's Kinois. And they say, instead of them, other ones that they made, Shar Goinim Al Gzeris Vein Lachush, and like we said earlier, it's really more than that. It's because everything really comes from the Chorban. And each generation, Pashtas, has to relate to the Chorban according to the way they see it. But it all goes back to the Chorban. In this Kina, we're going to talk more about the Crusades, the actual stories of the Crusades, in the next Kina. But in this Kina, um, the, in, in the uh, my kinas here, the mavur, whatever this this kinas it says, it's a kina nayra, and klai yisrael they gave up their lives in order that they should not have to serve by the zara, because in the times of the crusades, as we know, they went to them and they said, you have to accept our religion if now we're going to kill you. That's what they wanted, and in this in this kina. And a numerous kinois. It talks about how Klai Yisrael was willing to give up their lives. And in fact, we mentioned in other years as well the idea against the Shaila and the Rishainim, if you're allowed to commit suicide, or is one allowed to kill their children so that they shouldn't be caught by them. Brings Machlaikas Rishainim over there about it. And the Marama Rutenberg himself had this shi- the Shiloh was brought to him. And he brought a raya from the Kinois. The Marama Rutenberg wrote, if it's Mutter, and he says, he brought a raya leheter, he writes, Mimashagam Rabbeinu Kloinamis Osakain, Bikino Hamascheles. Amarta Shumani, which is Kina Chavtes, we're not going to say that Kina. But over there, and in the other Kinas as well, we see, and we'll see as we go through the history a little bit in the next Kina, how, now Rav Kleinimus didn't do it himself, but the Pashas, it means he describes it in the Kina, as if he's Paskening that way. So in, this, in these Kinas, we see the terrible tragedies 
of the times of the Crusades. And in this Kina Chav Beis, towards the, in the third paragraph, towards the end, when it talks about giving up their lives, it says, And they spoke to the children and they said, We were not Zaycha to raise you for Torah. Instead, we're going to bring you up as an Oila and Aktara to Hashem. And through that will be Zaycha to the R, which R, the hidden R of Gan Eden. And this was a, 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 a theme that was throughout the Crusades and throughout history. Whenever Klai Yisrael was faced with such a decision, they said to their children, We're not going to let you go. We want to be Megadu Yulitaira. And if we're not able to be Megadu Yulitaira, so then it's better for us to, for you to give up your life. This Shaila came up again. We spoke about it a few times in different ways in the Holocaust. Is it, what, what should they do if someone had the opportunity to give their children to Goyim, whether it was to private homes, whether it was to monasteries, should they or should they not? And one of the writers, um, one of the writers, Rebetzin uh, Farbstein, in her book, Hidden in Thunder, brings a letter, or an article, or a letter it actually is, um, that uh, someone wrote about this question, and it's only signed with initials, and she writes in a footnote, she could not identify who the writer was, but he was clearly a Tamachacham. And he starts off with the Pasuk of being Mavir that you can't have, give your child over to the Avodah of Moilach. And he writes about when Hitler's armies entered Poland, and he talks about different types of tsarists that were going on. And then he says the idea came up of entrusting the children to the Poles to be raised and educated. First it had to do with money. Not everyone wanted to take them unless you paid a lot of money. And then people started entrusting the children to convents, other Catholic educational institutions. And they said to themselves, we're, do, we're doing this to save our children, the Jewish children. Someone who saves a life is Kilo Matzo And they rationalized this only till the danger passes. Of course, my child is not going to grow up as a Christian. And so on and so forth. And he says, the question was, which takes precedence, the body or the soul? He says, you're saving your child from the claws of the yellow beast, he says, but you're jeopardizing his neshama. He says, because when they took them, they knew there's one purpose. They're there to convert people to Christianity. And such a young child, to be in such a situation, how's it shayach? They're not going to be able to be oimed in such an isayan. And this was the Shaila, he says, that we had. And he writes, he says, Our ancestors knew they had to let themselves be killed rather than to convert. And they were killed al Kiddush Hashem. <coughs> and he says, Anyone who knows anything about the priests understand why they're welcoming them with such open arms. 
because this is what they want. And he says, for generations we fought against foreign influences. He says, we will, will we now negate this all with the wave of a hand? Will we betray the Rabbi Shalaylam and sell our children into idolatry? Now he writes and he says, I am certain that if we conduct a referendum now on this question, this he wrote in 1942, and it seems that the Shiloh he was referring to was something that happened a couple years earlier when the Nazis came in in 39 and 40. And at that time people weren't sure what was going on. But he says, I'm certain now if we could conduct a referendum, we will get a unanimous answer from the entire nation. We will not pass our sons and daughters through the strange fire. This is what he writes. And this was not a simple Shiloh. It was not a simple Shiloh for people. But there was another Misa with uh, the Emmanuels. And they had a similar question. And they had put their daughter by some Goyim. And the daughter came back to visit. And when she came back to visit, they saw that she was praying like a Christian. And they couldn't believe it. And they told the person that they had, to, that they had uh, given her over to, they said, she's not going home with you. She's staying with us. And they turned to the rest of us. One of the children wrote this and said, they turned to the rest of us and they said, we received your ch you children as a deposit from Hashem. We do not know when we'll be obligated to return our deposits. But one thing is certain, we return you as Jews. And that's Mamish the Lashon that says in the Skina, even though le'zachinu le'gadachom le'tayra, but na'krivchem ka'ila v'aktara. It's not a partial decision, not a simple thing for a parent. Think about it for a few moments. But Lema'isa, this is how Klaisa went through the Dairis, not so simple. And in other years we went through other examples of this Shailah and of this, these decisions, but today we're going to focus on what happened after the war and see what happened. And Lamaisa, Rav Herzog, Zechreinu Levracha, went to the Pope, February 10th, 1946, and he begged the Pope to release and to tell him where the children are and to give out uh, psak that the monasteries and the, and the priests, and the, they should return them. And he says, for us, every child constitutes a world of his own. He told him, we lost about one million and a half children in the Holocaust. He says, if the Christian church deprives us of those children, the ones who remained alive, this would be tantamount to perpetuating the crime. And he said, please, tell your people to give back the children. But Lemay says, we know, the Pope refused. And of an estimated 5,000 surviving children who were hidden with families in, con in convents in Poland, only about half of them returned. And even those who were brought back was only through hard work and all different types of means to get them. And it wasn't simple. It was not simple. Different organizations tried to get the children back. And it's interesting because there was the from organizations that worked very hard and then there was the non from organizations the central jewish committee the central jewish committee which was the official organization representing polish jewry after the war were opposed to taking the children out of polish hands they said you're going to tear them away from their family it's not enough they suffered so much they finally have 
stability. We're not going to take them away. Let them stay with the Christians. It's unbelievable. And the truth is, not only assimilated Jews felt this way, Zionist Jews felt that way as well. There were some who said, we wonder if we're doing the right thing here. He says, we have doubts and hesitations. What should we do? He says, he says, maybe, you know, maybe we should leave them where they are. Are we entitled to rob the child of his new home and toss him into the abyss of his horrendous past? That's what they said. One of the leading leaders of the Zionist coordination wrote that. And another one wrote, debating with myself whether it was not wrong of me to remove this girl from the women she had been some clo so closely attached. And he says, and the, one of the writers writes, and he says, the doubts and hesitations experienced by these people display a flawed historical perspective. They fail to realize the acceptance of these children into the Christian environment is actually giving in to, to, to Hitler's plot, Lahashmid, Laharig, Laabed, Minar Vadzokin, Taf Vinoshim. He says, he says, by letting them stay there, they're just giving in to what the Nazis really wanted to happen. Another of the leading activists in recovering the children was someone named Yeshayo Drucker. He was known as the captain. And he also writes such a thing. He says, even after everything, he says, I don't know if it was so vital that we had to take such drastic measures. I don't know if it was so justified that we had a right to do it. Paladika thing. Balamaisa, the Froma, they understood what was going on and that's why they were much more successful because they believed in what they're doing. And they did, they worked in all different ways. And many times, many times they were willing to put their lives in danger in order to either kidnap the children. In one case, there was one Yid who, who had a tactic. He would go into Polish villagers, villages and he would get everybody drunk. He would get all the Poles drunk, he would buy drinks for everyone, so on and so forth, till eventually he was able to find out where the children were and then snatch them back. Snatch them back. Snatch them back. And this was the, 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 the Soyan that parents had. And those parents, 5,000 Jewish children who were, who were given over to Goyim and to Covenants and to priests, only half of them came back. This is a very big Nisayan that they had. But this is what they said in this kina. However, look what happened, unfortunately, to those ones who were, who were, who were put by the Goyim. It was a big shayla, and many of them did not survive. Some of them did, some of them came back. But not understanding the godless of being a yid and not giving, giving up a neshama, but it's, it's just mind-boggling that even afterwards people could think, let them stay over there. How could we traumatize them even more? 
Staka trauma, but this is it. It's better to be a yid, the dayi yid. That is the mandate that was given to us by these crusaders, by the victims of the crusade, and that's what we focus on over here in this kina.
We now go to Kina Chofhei, which is another one about the Crusades. And this is the Kina and the destruction of three cities in the Rhineland Spira, Vermeiza, Magentia, Spire, Worms, and Mainz. In the, month of e, the months of Er and Sivan, in the year Tatnu. We talk about the Crusades. So there were three Crusades. There was the first Crusade in 1096 to 1099, which is Tatnu. 1096 is Tatnu. Now the second Crusade was 1147 to 1149, and the third Crusade was in 1189. And the first Crusade in 1096 began in France, and the French Kehilois sent Shluchim northward to the Kehilois of the Rhineland and they told them what's going on, the Shadavan for them, and they received a reply from the city of Magentia of Mainz that we feel for you, but we're not really so nervous. We're protected over here in Germany. The Yidden were good with the noblemen. And we have nothing to be afraid of. But the Crusaders moved northwards, even though it's not really the direction that they're supposed to be going. If the whole idea of the Crusades, the idea behind it at least, was to march to Jerusalem and liberate the holy city from the Muslims. So they're going a little bit in the wrong direction. But one of the reasons that they went northwards was because a lot of these, uh, a lot of these um, noblemen and their children owed a lot of money to the German Jews. The German Jews were moneylenders, and a lot of these noblemen had borrowed money from them, and they saw it as a great excuse to uh, erase their debt. So they took a little detour and went north to the Germans. When they came to the city of Spira of Spire um, on the eighth day of Er, and these dates are here in the, some of them at least are in this Kina, Ches Er, and they killed 11 people in, 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 in Spire. That's what they killed in Spire. And then they kept on going, and they came to the city of Worms, and the city of Worms, they attacked them twice on Chaf Gimel Er and on Aleph Sivan. And in fact, even though one's not supposed to fast on Rosh Chodesh, in Hilchus Rosh Chodesh, the Mishaburah brings down that the Anshe Vermaiza fast on Rosh Chodesh Sivan. They fast on Rosh Chodesh Sivan, commemorating the second time in that week that they were, that they, uh, were attacked. And um, they continued with the same theme that we talked about in the last Kina, described that they themselves shechted their children al-Kiddush Hashem. Um, the, one of the stories they bring down 
in a in the in a uh, um, recounting of the details of each and every place here um, that was written at the time by one of the witnesses or one of the survivors. The Vayakid is Yitzchok Vinoy, one of the fathers made a bracha birchas hashchita, and the child answered Amen Vayishchet Sanar. and this is what they had to do. And in Worms, 800 people were killed. And then they moved to Mainz, Magentia, Gimel, Sivan, and again, each one, the Yidin, shechted each other, and each one was pushing, I want to die first, I want to be Mekadashem Shemayim first. And in fact, as they were attacking, wherever they were barricaded in, the Crusaders were attacking, the women were nervous perhaps, that their children wouldn't die Al-Kiddush Hashem because maybe they'll break through already. There's not enough time to kill them. So the women took boiling hot water and poured it outside onto the crusaders coming in in order that there should be time for their children to give up their lives Al-Kiddush Hashem that they should be able to shech their children, should be able to kill their children. The Lashon he writes over there is, Unfortunately women had to bash and kill their own children. In Magentia over a thousand people were killed. This was the reason why there's a Takana of Avarachamim. Why there's a Takana of Avarachamim that we say every Shabbos is for the Xerus of Tatnu. That is what the Takana of Avarachamim is. And that's why, as we say every year, that's why in the Mea we say Avarachamim no matter what, even if it's Chaydish Nisan, even if there's a bris. No matter what the reason is, we always say Avarachamim because this was the days. Chasiyar, Chav Gimeliyar, Aleph Sivan, Gimel Sivan. These are the days that Yimei Asfira that this commemorated. And there were some Kehilais actually that didn't say Avarachamim a whole year. They only said it during the Yimei Asfira, only during the Yimei Asfira because that was its time. Rashi wrote Kinois in my Shir on Rashi last year talked about it, Rashi was living in this Tkufa, and Rashi was very broken over it, and it's nicker from some of his Pirushim that he wrote at the end of his life, and Nach, I don't remember where, maybe in Dibrayamim, I don't remember where it is, he, he's Miramis to the Tsaris, that of the Crusades, he wrote Kinais for this, for this time period. This was a time, and this continued, throughout the different Crusades, this was the time of the Bali Ataisvis, Rashi's grandchildren, and that's Kufa afterwards, were the times of the Baliyat Many of them were killed, Al-Kiddush Hashem, during the Crusades. We've said other times that there's a Messiah that the Bnei Yisoschar said, he had a Kabbalah, that the Baliyat who wrote that long Taisvis in Perak Meruba, Mesechta he wrote it the night before he was going to be killed, Al-Kiddush Hashem. It was the night before the Crusaders were coming to attack him and his city. And many, many of the Baliyataisvis died Al-Kiddush Hashem. We don't always realize when we learn a Taisvis what Kufa they were living in. In fact, we'll talk about Rabbeinu Tam in a minute, but um, just in a later Tkufa, the Marami Rutenberg had Talmidim, the Mordechai. Who doesn't know the Mordechai? The Mordechai in the back of your Gemara. Mordechai Ben Hillel was the Talmud of the Maram Rittenberg. He was killed Al-Kiddush Hashem with his wife and his five young children. 
He had a brother-in-law named the Hagoyis Maimonis. Also, you open a Rambam, the Hagoyis Maimonis. How much Tyrus said from these Gedolim. His name is Rameyer ben Yukusil Koyen. He was also a Talmud of the Barami Rutenberg. Him and his wife and his daughter were killed as well in the pogroms of later on. After the Third Crusade, but this was a tkufa that started with the first crusade in 1096 and went all the way into 12 and later probably even into the 1300s of constant pogroms and killing of Klai Yisrael. And this was the tkufa. This was the tkufa of the Bali HaTaisvis. This was the tkufa of the Bali HaTaisvis. And this is what this kina talks about. Now later on we always mention that in Tuf Tuf Kuf Lamed Aleph, um, eleven eighty one, eleven seventy one. I'm sorry. So this is in between the second and third crusade. <coughs> was the blood libel in the city of Blois, 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 where thirty one Yidin were burnt alive? It was the first blood libel on mainland Europe. Blood libels had only been invented a little bit earlier in England. And this came to mainland Europe. And um, 31 Jews were burnt alive singing Aleinu L'Shabeach. And Rabbeinu Tam, they were telling some of them, Rabbi Tamidim of Rabbeinu Tam. Rabbeinu Tam was very shook up from it. Rabbeinu Tam made a takana for the Jews of France, of England, of the Rhineland. A tainus, a tainus, the tainus of Chof Sivan. That was the first tainus of Chof Sivan. That's when they were killed. And don't forget Rabbeinu Tam himself, Rabbeinu Tam, who was a Rosh Hashiva in Ramarov in France. And on the second day of Shavuos, he was beaten and he was killed. This was in 1147, which is in the Second Crusades. He was beaten, beaten, brought almost an inch of his de- of his life, and through some type of nace, a nobleman came and he offered the nobleman money if he'll save him. And the nobleman told the crusaders, listen, give me a day and I'll convince him to convert. And he let him go. Ben Utam was beaten mamish to an inch of his life. He was almost killed on the second day of Shavuos in the second crusades. And Rabbi Utam, this is later on already, a few years later, 1171, made a takana of a tainus for this 31 yidin in this, uh, in this blood libel. And he was so broken from this, he was nifter, Rabbi Utam was nifter three weeks later on Dalit Tamus. And Tamus. This is another tragedy of the times. And again, we learn Rabbeinu Tam, we learn from the Baliataisvis. We don't always necessarily put into historical perspective of where this Torah came from and when they were learning this Torah and what happened during their lives when they learned their Machadish this Torah. But this was the time of the Crusades. And this 1171 in Blois was the first blood libel. And as we said, Chaf Sivan. Chav Sivan was made a takana to be a tainus for by Rabbeinu Tam, and in fact, there's slichas. There's a famous slicha, Munei Shleimei Yisrael, which is referring to that kufa, to that kufa. Later on, in the 1600s, is when Tach Vitat happened, and the truth is, as we'll see, even though, even though um, there were many tsaris that occurred, Tach Vitat being one of the main ones. But we don't have a kina for Tach Vitat. And it's interesting because the 
as we'll see in a moment, that there's really a takana of a yayim, of a yayim tainas and slichas. But in our kinais that we say for Ashkenaz kinais at least, in about the 1300s is when they stopped adding kinais to it. I guess till the Holocaust, and then there was a few added at the end. But to the general, what we call seder akinais, um, in the 1300s they stopped adding to it. Anything that happened, any tsaris that happened after that, they made slichas, they made other things that they put into different places, different tanesim, but they didn't add mamish to the kina, to the kina, um, to the kina itself. So in Tachvitat Chalmanitsky, as we know, we've spoken about him. He was the father of the Ukrainian freedom. He's like the George Washington of the United States, and they even even Abaye Mazeh, they celebrate him as the father of Ukrainian freedom because he led a revolution against the noblemen. But Lamaise, he was a bloodthirsty murderer. He was no hero. And uh, what he started in Tachvitat in 1648, 1649, so many different Gedolim were affected by it. So we know the different Gedolim, the Shach had to run away in Tachvitat, the Beragoyla, the Taisiz Yontif, the Mogan Avram's father was killed, the Taz's two children were killed. And basically, it was a revolt against the Polish overlords. And it was also had to do with religion. Most of these hot-button uh, political things have to do with religion as well, because the Ukrainians were Greek Orthodox, the Poles were Roman Catholic, and the Mela, they didn't get along. And, um, but who suffered the most? The Yidin in the Ukraine, in Poland, in Lita, 1648 and 1649 being the time that it was the most, but it continued because uh, the Shach and the Beragoyla were in Vilna later in the 1650s, 55, 56, and finally made it there, the, the wars and the killings. So it was a long Tkufa, but the main Tkufa was 1648 and 1649. And the Shach, as we know, wrote the Megillas Eifa, where he describes what happened. And another Yidr of Nasanata Hanover wrote Yavain Metzula, that also compiling all the different things that happened in the different cities. And the Shach made a Kabbalah for himself and for his family, Ludairus, that Chof Sivon should be a Tainus. Why Chof Sivon? Because Chof Sivon, the first main Ukrainian city, the first uh, big Ukrainian city of Kla Yisrael, a Jewish city that was attacked, was the city of Nemerov. For Nemerov, they attacked for three days, killing 6,000 people, including Rabbi Chiel Michal of Nemerov, who was a big, big Mekubal and a Tzaddik. And he was killed at Kiddush Hashem there. And the Taisiz Yontif's son was there, there, there. I think he escaped. The Taisiz Yontif had been a Rav in Nemerov earlier, and he felt it was Pasha his people. And that's why another reason why he was so um, connected to the Gzairis of Tach Vitat. And so the Shach was Keveya for his family, for his family and his and his descendants, that Chav Sivan should be a day of Tainus. Number one, that was the first city was on Chav Sivan Nemerov. Also, it never falls out on the Shabbos Chav Sivan. And number three, the reason is because hundreds of years earlier in 1171, there was also a Tsar on Chav Sivan. That was that Rabbeinu Tam's Tainus for those people. So the Shach felt that since it happened around that time, that's the same time we should make the Gzeira of the Tainus. I saw a Peladika thing last night. Shabbos actually, and then I looked it up last night. And um, there's a very interesting remez. The Yitzmach Moshe on Megillah Esther brings down 
And he says that in the Megillah, it says, Vatichtoi Vester Basavichayel. So we know the tough over there is a big tough. And he says in the beginning of the Megillah, by Chur Karpas Uschayles, the Ches is a big Ches. He says that spells Tach. It's a remez to the Gzeira of Tach. Why is it a remez to the Gzeira of Tach? So he says as follows. He says he heard another remez. I saw somewhere that this was from Rav Shimshon Mashapali. Rav Shimshon Mashapali was actually killed in, in Tach. He was one of those killed. Rabbi Chil Michal Namarov, Rabbi Shimshon Ashtrapali, with the two big Gedolim at the time, the biggest Sadiqim, or hundreds and hundreds, Tamidah Chachamim, but the big, big Gedolim Hadar were those two. And he said a remez. He said, it says, Ki Yod Al Kais Ka Mechamal Hashem Ba'amalek. So he says, Yod is Yodalid. That's a remez to Purim. Kais is a remez to Chav Sivan. Chav Sivan is Kais. That was the remez that he heard. Sezok the Yismach Moshe, an unbelievable thing. He says, it's, it's hard to understand, but this is what he says. He says that in the times of Purim, there was a Gzeira of Lahashmir Laharigul Abed. He says that there was a Gzeira of Lahashmir Laharigul Abed. So, even though Klai Yisrael did Tshuva, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu made sure of that we didn't have the Gzeira, and we have the Yontif of Purim. But he says, Midas Hadin He says, Lamaisa, there was a Kitrig on Kla Yisrael, and Minas Hadin So instead of HaKadosh Baruch Hu bringing Lahashmi Laharigulabed of that entire generation of Kla Yisrael, he spread out over the Gullus that amount of Yidin have to be killed throughout our Gullus for that Kapara. So he says, and he says, these nefoshes were given b'fizarayim. <coughs> and he says, and most of them, or many of them, were in the year of Tach and Tat, especially the year of Tach. So even though he says that Tach wasn't a year of the destruction of all of Klai Yisrael, like Purim was supposed to be, but was spread out. So that's the remez. Kiyod, the Yudalid, went to Kais, went to the Chaf Sivan, which is Miramiz, to the Tach. And that's the Vatich Tevester, Tach, the Tav and the Ches, is a remez that there's going to be a Tach that's going to have to be Mashlim, what happened Purim. And he says, the Yismach Moshe, he says, that's Vimei HaPurim Ho'ele, Lo Yavru Yehudim. And this Gezeira of Purim is not going to be taken away from the Jews, meaning we're not going to get totally out of the Gezeira of Purim, we're going to have to pay it back. V'zichram Lo Yosef Mizaram. The Zecher of all these Yehudim, these Jews that were in the times of Purim, Lo Yosef Mizarum, which means to say they're going to be destroyed, but Lemaisa, it's not going to be destroyed of Gans Klai Yisrael. And that's the remez of the big tough and the big Ches of Tach with the remez of Case of Chaf Sivan, which is a, a Peladika thing to say. But this is what he says, the Yismach Moshe, that all these Gzairis and especially Tach had to do with the Yontif of Purim. And uh, I'm sure you could say a lot of Torah trying to be Mechaber, the two in Yonim together. But that's what he says. That's what he says. So this is the time of Tach Vitat. Tach Vitat, over 600 Jewish Kehillahs were destroyed. A Cheshbin of about 2 million people. And we, we, we always point out that the, the idea, we talk about 6 million in the time of the Nazis. And over there they had machine guns and they had all different types of weapons. 
and Tach Vitat, two million people in Klai Yisrael, and I don't know what the percentage was of Klai Yisrael, but it's a big amount. And it was uh, mostly uh, hand-to-hand combat. They burnt them down Amal, and shoals in different places too. Terrible, terrible atrocities. Some say the Nazis could learn Achzarius from the from the uh, from the Tach Vitat um, Chamanitsky and his uh, Cossacks. The, the, the unbelievable atrocities, hair-raising um, atrocities that they did, these, these, these Cossacks. And this is a, a terrible Tkufa in Klai Yisrael, terrible, terrible Tkufa. And in 1650, the Vard Abra of Poland, who was the, um, the, the leading uh, governing Jewish body in Poland, um, they got together... And uh, they wrote some slichais, and um, and these slichais you could find them. The Shach wrote slichais as well, and the Yitzratzvilais by Chaf Siva, and you could see the slichais. And uh, happens to be that most of the slichais that they they were masakin to say, most of them were from the Crusades of Tatnu of 1091. There's a slicha there also from 1171 from 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 Blois as well. And um, basically what they did is they incorporated things that happened earlier from the Crusades and especially of, of the, of the Rabbeinu Tam's Tainus of Chav Sivan because they were making Chav Sivan into a, into a Tainus. There's also a Kalmali Rachamim over there and you look at the Aitzvilas for a long Kalmali for Rechil Michal of Nemerov. The Taisis Yontif also composed the Kalmali in it. He, he mentions Rav Shimshon from Ashtapali. And this was something that they were masakin. They were masakin a tainus of Chav Sivan and Kal Machus Pailin. And Mr. Brewer brings down that in Kal Machus Pailin, Chav Sivan is a tainus that was masakin for this. Um, there was another governing body in Lita who actually made a gzera. And they said because of this sara that nobody's allowed to wear any fancy clothing for the next three years. Three years of Avelis. No one's allowed to wear fancy clothing. And they write that after three years, the Rabbanim will decide if it was enough time or not, if you're allowed to be Matarit. And they said for one year, no one's allowed to listen to music, even a chasin and a kala. The only place will be mutters if the chasin is in the chatzar of a shul, so you're allowed to do it there. And this was a, 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 a terrible tkufa for Klai Yisrael that's all built in and connected. As you see, they connected it themselves to the times of uh, the, times of the Crusades. And... Um, like I said before, they didn't. There's no kina that we have in our kinas for tachvetat because the way they did it, they weren't adding after the 1300s. They didn't add to the kinas, but instead they made a yom tainus and they incorporated it in. It's very interesting. We're malumid to to, to to say based on uh, the kina, based on this kina that we're about to say chavhei, which talks about the crusades and these cities. That it says in the kina that really we should make a, uh, a, 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 a day of tainus just for these three cities. However, there's famous words that we're not supposed to add on anymore. We're not supposed to add on anymore. Everything gets incorporated into Tishabov. And this is the when they wanted to make a Yom Tainus for the Holocaust. Immediately, this is what the Briskarov quoted this kina. We don't add on. Everything's incorporated into the, into the in Tishabov. Which was always a question by me because what happened to Chav Sivan? The Ma'is of the Gedolim got together and they made Chav Sivan a Tainus. For Chol Malchus Pailin, Rabbeinu Tam made a Tainus earlier. Well, why? Why wasn't it? Uh, why, why was it this? Why is it different than 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 the Holocaust? Why? 
well, what, what's, why is it different than the Crusades here that they're talking about it? And um, I don't know, I don't have a good answer. Ramayushan Achuva seems to address it and tries to give a, a teretz, the difference between the Holocaust and Tach Vitat. I don't get it in, and I, I don't get it 100% clear, the teretz, but uh, the cash is there, the cash is there. But again, it's all focusing back onto, onto, um, onto the Churban Beis Hamikdash. And interesting, the next line of the Kina says, zulasi And you can't be maktim, you can't make it earlier, you should make it later. So, so what do those words mean? I, I found a Chuvan Kasam Seifer where he seems almost to understand that the Balakina is saying maybe we should take Tishabov and move it to Sivan when this happens for the Crusades. Take the whole tish above and move it to Sivan. It's almost like a Havamina that this has been so chamer because he says, Shkula harigasam lisabalisafra. He says it's this this hariga is 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 enough that we should be misabal kisrevis basalikeno. So we have two choices. Make a new day of mourning, ain't lahisif. Okay, move Tisha above earlier. No, ain't lahaktim. You can't move Tisha above earlier because we're not maktim paranius. It's interesting the thought process here of the Balakina when he focuses on uh, on the Crusades. So this is this is the uh, the kina we're going to say for the Crusades. The second kina we're saying ready for the Crusades for these big cities.
We're going to go now to Kina Lamed Aleph, which we'll sing together. It's the contrast of Kla Yisrael going out of Mitzrayim, going out of Yerushalayim. Really, it's two sides of the same coin. As we know, Tishabov is called a Moyed. And a moyed is like a yantif. They don't say tachnun on Tishabov. And other halachas like that. And the question is, why is it called a moyed? What's a moyed about it? And Rav Gifter Zechayinu Lebracha, in his famous drasha, at the Sea of Mashas, quoted. His Rebbe, the Talzarov, Hashem Ikan Damai, that he said a Moyed is a meeting place. A Moyed is a time of meeting. Sometimes we meet the Rabbeinu Shalaylam through Simchas, and sometimes we meet, we meet the Rabbeinu Shalaylam through Tsaris. But they're both meetings with the Rabbeinu Shalaylam. And that's the contrast of Itzaisim Yerushalayim, Itzaisim Mitzrayim, Itzaisim Yerushalayim. The different kufas of Kla Yisrael, they're both two sides of the same coin of a Mayid with the Rabbeinu Shalalam. When there's Rachman Lutzlan, <coughs> tragedies in Kla Yisrael, when there's Saras in Kla Yisrael, it's also meeting with the Rabbeinu Shalalam, it's also connecting with the Rabbeinu Shalalam. And that's what the day of Tishabav is. The day of Tishabav is the day that we meet with the Rabbi Nisham. It's a Mayyad. Karalai Mayyad Lishbar Bachurai. It's a meeting time with the Rabbi Nisham. And that's the contrast here in this Kina.
And when we talk about this kina, we talk about Kla Yisrael, how they walked out of each situation a little differently. The simcha that there was in leaving Mitzrayim and in the nigan that we use, it's more of a joyful chant, the B'tzeisim in Mitzrayim part, and, that, and then the more mournful chant when it talks about B'tzeisim in Yerushalayim. And in fact, I say every year, but it doesn't always work out, that when you get to the end, the last stanza, B'tzeisim in Mitzrayim, is in the joyful chant, and the next part, B'shuvi Yerushalayim, is also in the joyful. It shouldn't be in the Kina part, because we're going back to Yerushalayim. So even though in your mind the nigan goes down, it should go back up as if it's the first half of it. But this is Kla Yisrael realizing that when we leave Yerushalayim, we're mournful. But when we leave Mitzrayim, we're joyful. And we talk about, a lot of times, the Spanish Inquisition, the Spanish Expulsion, 1492, uh, on And the reason, as we'll see in a moment, now it's interesting, I saw somebody ask, how come there's no kinois for the Spanish Expulsion? So, I already answered that question, explaining that in Ashkenaz Kinois in the 1300s already they didn't make any additions to it. This is already 1492, 1500, so there were no additions to Ashkenaz Kinois after that. However, the truth is in the Svardisha Kinois there were. There are Kinois that talk about the Tsaras in Spain. And one of the big Chidushim of that is that we think that Spain was so glorious till 1492 and all of a sudden, uh, there was the expulsion, or then and about. But the truth is, there were actually big pogroms in Spain from the years 1391 to 1412. There was terrible, terrible uh, ritzichas, slaughter of Svardi Jews. It wasn't a good time, and in fact, some of the gedolim of the time, they composed kinois that not only talked about the Spanish expulsion of 1492, there's Kinois from much earlier, from the hundred years earlier, 1391 to 1412. The problem was that the first, the, the, the Svardisha Kinois were printed by the Goyle Svarad in the early 1500s in Venice, a few years after the expulsion, and they didn't want to put in those Kinois because they were still nervous. The Inquisition's long hand um, long arm stretched to different places and they were still very nervous to have Kinois talking about that Kufa. Later on, Utaka was printed. So in the Svardisha Kinois, which happens to be, if I'm correct, a, a lot longer than our Kinois, but if uh, the, the way the Svardim do it, I think, is they not, not all on Tishabov. They do it some from before already. They say Kinois at different times. Um, the, um, this slaughter of Spanish Jewry in those years um, really was a wake-up call for the Jews of Spain. The Jews of Spain had been in Spain already since Chorban Bayes Rishon in Mashiran the Barbanel. Not long ago we talked about this. The Barbanel's family was from the Goylim of Chorban Bayes Rishon um, had come to, to, uh, to Spain and uh, you could see many of the cities of Spain were actually named after cities in Eretz Yisrael and so on and so forth. 
And um, <clears throat> Rabbi Chil ben Asher, the son of the Rosh, um, has some kinois as well, as the Rosh ended up in, uh, in Spain, and his son was in Spain. He has kinois for that time of that slaughter of 1391 to 1412. We're talking about um, 20, 21 years. 21 years of pogroms. That's a, that's a, a, a big tkufa. And according to the Messiah, in 1391, the pogroms began on Shivasar Batamus. On Shivasar Batamus. And that's how the Python, Rabbi Yechil ben Arash, begins. And he talks about the Tsaris that happened always in, in, on Shivasar Batamus. We know the Tsaris of Shivasar Batamus, of the Egel, and so on and so forth. And he goes through it and he says that on Tammuz, the month of Tammuz, this is the month that Klai Yisrael served the Egel. And it's the month that many, many communities here in Spain were destroyed. And um, he writes the same type of Kiddush Hashem that happened during the Crusades happened in this Kufa as well. Fathers killed their sons and so on and so forth. Um, so the truth, like I'm saying, so there were many Kines Taka for the Spanish Inquisition, for the Spanish expulsion of 1492 and earlier but they just weren't incorporated in Ashkenaz, number one, because we didn't add any in for whatever reason. And even by the Sephardim, it took a while till it, till it got in. Now why do we talk about the, the Sephardish expulsion over here? Because <clears throat> we have to realize what Girish Svarad was. Girish Svarad was millions and millions of Klai Yisrael who did not leave Spain. The Sefer HaKabbalah, Rav Avram ben Rav Shloyma, who was 10 years old at the expulsion, and he was one of those who, were, who left. He said, Rav Jews stayed in Spain, and they became Meranos. He says, From the G'daylem of Svarad and from its leaders, only Maseimat, only a few left. You have to realize what it was to leave Spain, as we'll see in a moment. It was going to their death. And he says, The God of Bekulam was Harav Don Yitzchak Abarbanel, Shekidesh Hashem Mifarhesya, Lifnei HaMelech V'Asarim. He was the advisor to the king. He tried to get the Gezerah to be repealed. But when it didn't happen, he decided he's leaving Beraisham. And on Tisha B'Av of 1492, 300,000 Yidin were, were, were left, left, uh, left Spain, Beraisham, led by the Abarbanel, and some others, but rave of them remained in, in, in Spain. Rave of them were not able to, to, uh, to pick up and leave. To pick up and leave. And the Barbanel, in his Akdama, to say from Malachim, he writes of the terrible Tsaris that the Goylem had. He says, Some of them started to go on the sea, they took a boat, and some of them were captured by pirates, and they were taken and sold off into Africa as slaves. Some of them drowned in the sea. Others were killed on their way out. Some Bacherev, some Baesh. And even the ones on the boat, some of the boats were burnt also. It was terrible, he says. Even from those 300,000, very few um, were, were left. And this was the terrible, terrible Golos Svarad, the Spanish expulsion of 1492. And the Sefer brings down, we say every year, that they were Mater, that year, that there should be musical instruments played on the way out of Spain. As they were leaving this country, they played musical instruments. There was a band playing um, on Tishabov. 
And he says the reason the Gedolim were matarit is number one is because they were so despondent. It should cheer them up a little. But he says there was something deeper in there. It was a deeper remez. And the remez is that we only cry when we leave Yerushalayim. We don't cry when we leave from one Golos to the next. Leaving Golos, B'Tseisim in Mitzrayim, is a time for joy. It's not a time of crying. It's another step closer to the Geula. You don't cry when you leave a Golos. The only time you cry is when you leave Yerushalayim. And that's why B'Tseisim in Mitzrayim is always going to be on a high note. But B'Tseisim Yerushalayim is the low note. And that's why they were mater, that we're leaving, we're leaving B'Simcha. I, we have to leave, and this is part of Golos. We're not going to the Geula. But every step of the Golas is a step closer to the Gula. Just have to realize well, why there was a Golas Svarad. Why was there a Girish Svarad? What was the Aveira? What happened to Klai Yisrael in Spain? So the truth is, Tabarbanel writes that there was a lot of assimilation in Spain. It's very similar to what happened later on in, 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 in Europe, in Eastern Europe, with the Holocaust, hundreds of years later. There was a lot of assimilation in Spain. The Tabarbanel um, the Barbanel says that it has to do with the study of philosophy. There was a big machlaikas amongst the Rishainim, the Rajba and the Rush and others, different Rishainim about the limit of philosophy 100, 150 years earlier. But unfortunately, it became very rampant. People learned, weren't learning Gemara anymore, and they were very much into philosophy and Ashkafa and this type of stuff that led them totally off the derech. There was a lot of assimilation. But the Tzra HaMar and the end of Parshas Bahar on the Pasuk Geshav, he writes that I, I'll tell you the reason for Girish Svarad. He says, I think he was one of the Megorashim, I think he was one of the people who left. And he says the reason is because they forgot their Ingalus. They built themselves big palaces and big houses and they forgot their Ingalus. They think this is where they belong. He says, and that's why there was a, a, a girush, that's why there was a, a, a gzera that they have to leave and go into Golis. He says there were other reasons as well. He says they weren't so nizer and Shabbos, they weren't nizer and covet of Beisachnesses. That's a Shabsoisai Tishmairu Mikdoshi Tiro, he's learning it in. But Lamaisa, one the main thing he says is that they didn't believe that they were in Golis. They didn't believe they're in Golis. They built themselves big palaces and big houses as if they belonged there. And because of that, unfortunately, the Rebbe Hashem said, when you get too comfortable, when you get too comfortable, so we have to move, you, move, move on. And that's really, you know, that's really a Yisoyed, a, a theme that finds itself in other places as well. The, the, we've mentioned in other years, during the times of the Crusades, the, the, the uh, Seyda Haderis brings from the Sma, had a Kabbalah from his father, that the reason that Germany, those areas, Magentia, Worms, Spire, the reason they suffered so much is because they didn't want to go back to Yerushalayim by Binyan Bayishaini. They said, we're over here in Yerushalayim HaKatan. We're happy over here. And, and the Meshachachma in his famous piece in Mechukaisai, where he predicts Churban Europe already in the 1850s, he predicts Churban Europe when nobody was talking about it. He says the same thing, Choshven ki Berlin hi Yerushalayim. They think Berlin is Yerushalayim. It's not going to work that way. The Rebbein Shem says, you got to wake up. This is not it. You're in Gullus. Yidin have to realize we're Gullus Yidin. We have to be in Gullus. We have Akar Satayiv to the countries that welcome us and make us comfortable. But we can't be too comfortable here. We have to realize our job is to be in Gullus and to remain in Gullus and know we're in Gullus. And then when we get a little too comfortable, Rahman al-Itzlan, this is a theme throughout the Tsaris of our history, when we get too comfortable and we think this is where we belong, 
the Rebbeinu Shalom says, this is not where you belong. In, Latin, in yesterday's Parsha, famous Kliyakar talking to Prague in the 1600s, he says, Hatspinu atzmechem, Pnulachem tzafayna, you have to hide yourselves. When it comes to Esav, you can't be out there in his face, you don't have to flaunt who you are. Adarab, Esav's always upset at Klai Yisrael, they think all our success was stolen from them because of the brachas of Yaakov and Esav. He says, you have to be hatspina, you have to be quiet. He says, not like the Jews of today, that if a person has $100, he builds himself a house and he prances around like, he's, like he has thousands and thousands of dollars. And as you say, you know, he, he's as they say in Yiddish. You have to, like, their eyes should fall out seeing what we look like. That's not how it is, he says. And that's the cause of all our tsaris, as the Kliyakar says, and of our gullus, v'amaskilim yavinu v'yikhu musr. People who are smart should take musr from this. And that's something we have to remember. You know, far we're, we're the meiser, we're gullus yidin, we're gullus yidin, and we have to make sure that we remain gullus yidin. Avada, we're allowed to enjoy what we have, but we have to be very careful to remember this is not our place. This is not our place. With all the rights that we have, we have to remember who we are as a Kla Yisrael. And that is what the Tzorah Hamar said about Girish Svarad, and that's what we talk about here in this, in this, in this kina, the contrast of Itzayim Mitzrayim, Itzayim Yerushalayim, again, like I said, because when it comes to leaving a galus, we only leave galus besimcha. From stop to stop is besimcha. As the Galantarov said, they're going to the gas, gas chambers, they're going to be killed, we go besimcha. That's how Kalah Yisrael leaves a galus. The only time we're mourning is Itzayim Mitzrayim.
We've talked about this many times. The Kina written by the Marame Rutenberg and the Shreifas Hatayra. The Shreifas Hatayra. 24 wagon loads of Svarim were burned in Paris on the Arab Shabbos of Parshas Chukas and they asked the Shailas Chaloim and they got a message, the Gzeira Seraisa, this is the Gzeira from the Taira, which is the Targum of Zeus Chukas HaTaira, and that's why they were Kiveya Erev Shabbos, Parshas Chukas, as a Tainus, for this Sora, and usually Tanesim go with the date, and not the day of the week, but this one they saw a Remez, because of this Shailas Chaloim of Dog Gzeira Eraisa. And the story was, in the year 1240, the king of France was Louis the Ninth. was a big Russia, and there was a Meshumad, Nicholas Donin, who basically convinced the king that the reason why the Jews aren't accepting Christianity is because of all the terrible things that it says in the Gemara about Christians. And therefore, that's, you got to get rid of that and you'll get the Jews. It was always the, that was always the goal. And they decided to have a certain debate in the king's palace and four of the Bali Hatoisvis, Rabbi Chil Paris, Rabbi Chil of Paris, Rabbi Moshe Mikutzi, the author of the Smag, Rabbeinu Shmuel ben Rabbi Shloima from the place called Palaiza, and Rabbi Yehuda ben David from Malone. These four, Rishainim, Bali Hatoisvis, Rabbi Chil Paris, and the Ramosha Mikutsi were the Rabbeim of the Marame Rutenberg, who was learning in Paris by them. That's why Mesechta Yuma, the Taisvisin and Mesechta Yuma are from the Marame Rutenberg, those are his Taisvisin, and very often he quotes his Rabbeim there, Rabbi Chil from Paris and Ramosha Mikutsi. And they were four were chosen to debate the priests over this, this uh, claim that the in the Gemara is very anti-Christian. And um, the only two who made it actually to actually debate <coughs> was Rabbi Chilmi Paris and Rabbi Yehuda ben David from Malone. And um, because after their two debates, the king saw that it was a bunch of baloney. Saw that it was no, there, was no, there was nothing to talk about. They won the debate hands down. But of course, that really wasn't the point of this debate, who should win. It was just to, to debate as an excuse to say that they lost. And eventually, they, he gave out a decree that the uh, Svarim have to be, 
have to be destroyed. And they went around, um, they went around from house to house, and they went to each shul and teach Bismadrish, and they confiscated all the svarim. And just remember, this is long before the printing press. Every sefer was handwritten, cover to cover, letter by letter. All the shasin were handwritten. Many of the shasin had the goyoinus in the margins from the baliyataisus themselves written in there. And they piled up 24 wagon loads of svarim. And on Erev Shabbos, Parshas Chukas of 1242, they burnt them. They burnt them in the street there. And this was really the end of the Tkufa of Kla Yisrael, the Baliataisis in France. After that, they all left. The Maram Rutenberg, who was an eyewitness to this, composed the Kina that we're going to say in a moment, Shali Srufa Vaish, to ask the Srufa Vaish, the Torah that was burnt in fire. And he talks about how, the, how it's so dark, how could we enjoy anything, seeing so much destruction, so much Torah being destroyed. Rabbi Chiyomi Paris also left. He, away. he went up to Eretz Yisrael actually. And they all migrated north, northwards towards Germany. Maram went to Rutenberg. And this was really the end of the Tkufa of the Baliataisvis in, in France with this, with this Misa. And when we talk about the burning of Svarim, we find that as a very common theme amongst amongst the Goyim that attack us throughout history. And in other years we talked about the Germans and how they made that as a priority to destroy libraries, to destroy Svarim. But t- today we're going to talk about a little bit of a different uh, angle of that. And we're going to talk about the Yidin who were Moisir Nefesh for Svarim. In the Sefer Kafakel, the Kafakela that I quoted before from... Rabbi Cheskel Harpens, he brings a Misa that he was in one of the camps and someone met him. And someone said, Rabbi David Harpens, is he from Satmer? Is he a relative of yours? So he told him he's my brother. He says, I have to tell you a story about him. He says, I have to tell you a story about him. I have to tell you a story. He's one of the strongest pers- people I've ever seen. And he says, he looked at him, he says, he didn't know his brother to be very strong. His brother wasn't such a strong person. So he says, what are you talking about? He says, I'll tell you, we were being taken to the trains to go to the camps. And of course, the Nazis didn't let us take on any Svarim. He says, but your brother had a Sefer Torah in the ghetto that he refused to part with. He had come to the ghetto with his Sefer Torah and he planned on leaving the ghetto with the Sefer Torah. And of course, the Nazis, <laughs> they weren't going to let this and we knew that. And we tried to convince him not to, but he refused. He held the Sefer Torah, he hugged it with his two arms, with such, such strength that they pushed it, they tried to grab it from him, nothing doing, he would not let go. And finally, after a little bit, they said, ah, he's Meshuggah, just let him go. How long is he going to last anyways? And he made it onto the train with his Sefer Torah. He didn't take anything else, he couldn't hold anything, he couldn't hold any baggage, any, anything with him, only his Sefer Torah. And he held it the entire way on the trains. And he says, when we got to Auschwitz, he says, they took us out. And they said, everyone, get out, get out. You're not allowed to take any packages with you. Leave everything, you know, leave everything on the train. You'll get it later. And he said, I saw your brother get up. And he went to the door. And he's holding a Sefer Torah. 
and he's holding it as tight as he could. And the guard's standing at the door, and they didn't want to let him out, and they screamed at him, and they hit him and garnished. He would not let go of his Sefer Torah, he refused to let go. The Nazi pointed his gun straight at him, at his heart, and he says, if you don't let go, I'm going to kill you, and he just looked at him. And the two soldiers looked at each other and they said, finish, let him go already, what's the big deal? Where's he going? Uh, one looked at the other and said, like, where's he going? He thinks he's going to Shul or something like that. And one, one turned to him and said, you're going to Davin? Are you going to Davin? Davin for your entire family, they told him. And he says, he says that um, he came in front of whoever, whether it was Mengele, whoever it was doing the, the selection. It wasn't always Mengele there, but whoever did the selection at the time. And they sent him, of course, to the side to go to be burnt in the gas chamber. And he went along there with his Sefer Torah that he refused to part with. He says... I understood at that moment, Pshad in the Pasuk, Sometimes it's not about strength, physical strength, it's Beruchi. It's the spiritual, it's the inner strength. And he says, I realized, and this Yid told this, this his brother, he said, the, Your brother was Mekai in the Pasuk, Lo Yomush Sefer Hatayra Hazemi Picha. He was Moiser Nefesh, Halacha Lamaisa, Lo Yomish Sefer Atayra Hazeh. He never let go of it. He, from day number one until the gas chamber, he went with his Sefer Taira. And this was a Messiris Nefesh that Kla Yisrael had for Sefer Taira, but for Svarim in general. In uh, Rebetzin Farshin's book, she talks about, she quotes mostly Rav Ashri from the Kavna Ghetto, but from others as well, where, where, the Nazis had had given out what was called the edict of the books. That basically they were there to destroy Klal Yisrael's culture as well. They would take some selected books for their la- international library of Judaism that they were planning on making to show that not only um, it would be a memento that they destroyed the nation who was the uh, symbol of the people of the book and uh, they went around, and this was, they had a special, um, a special focus on, on, uh, on Sifrei Kaidish, on Sifrei Kaidish. But as one of the survivors of the, of the ghetto, Reb Shmuel Roz, a Talmud of Slabotki Yeshiva, he said that um, the day that they took the Svarim, he says, was a terrible day for us, because taking the book from the people of the book, is a deep incurable wound to the Jewish soul. It was such a tsar for us when they took the Svarim from us. And Ravashi writes, we decided to protect the Svarim with no less and maybe with greater, greater determination than we protected our lives. And he says, Jews of all classes, all types of Yidin, displayed such mysterious nefesh for the Svarim, even risking being killed to hide Sifrei Kaidish and, and, and Sifrei Torah. Workmen, shoemakers, tailors, carpenters were elevated by this battle to the highest level of Kedusha. And they dug pits and they hid volumes of Shas in them and Rambam, all others for him. Um, he says there was so much mysterious nefesh. So, so much mysterious nefesh. In other places, they taka went and they actually burned the Svarim themselves. Such it was a very hard thing for them to do, but they said, we're not going to let the Germans burn our Svarim. We are going to return them to the Rabbi Nishalai himself. And um, 
and um, they that, that that's what they did. There was a certain mesiras nefesh that they had for the sifrei kodesh, certain sifrei mesiras nefesh, and Rav Ashri writes whether consciously or unconsciously. The Jews sensed that this was the Germans' intent, and many of them regarded protecting the books as an act of resistance against the Nazis, because they accepted having everything else taken from them, but not the Svarim. When it came to fighting for a Sefer Torah, or hiding a Sefer Torah, the weakest Jew demonstrated that he was a vigorous hero. This is what Ravashi wrote in the Kovna Ghetto. And this is the mysterious Nefesh the Klai Yisrael had, Mysterious nefesh that Klai Yisrael has for their svarim. This is the the mechama that they that they that the that the that the goyim have against our svarim. That's why when they come into a place, the first thing they do is they burn down the shul. It's not only the symbol of the shul; it's the svarim in the shul. And now they go and they make a, a against the mechama against the svarim. But Klai Yisrael themselves realize the shali srufa beish that as much as they try to burn the svarim. We are going to be Meisah Nefesh for our Svarim. Klai Yisrael only grows from, 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 from understanding what our Sifrei Kaidish are. Baruch Hashem, we live in a time where Sifrei Kaidish are, it's, it's, there was no time in the history of Klai Yisrael that there was the amount of Sifrei Kaidish that we have today. But we have to realize, Ashreinu Matayv Chalkeinu, that we have them, have the proper covered for Svarim. Realize what we Taka have. And it's very interesting that after the war, when they printed Svarim, in the DP camps, they printed Chumashim and they printed Sidurim. So the first printing of a Gemara, Masechta Bechayris, from Ashas, was printed in uh, one of the DP camps. And there's actually a Pasuk they put on the Sharblat. Kimat kiluni baaretz vani lo yazavti pikudecha. It's kimat that they almost wiped me out, but vani lo yazavti pikudecha. And this wasn't only a symbol of Kla Yisrael, it was a symbol of the Shas itself. The Gemara itself, Kimat Kiluni Varetz, Vanilo Yazavti Pikudecha. This is Kla Yisrael's dedication to, 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 to Svarim, to Shas, to, to Sifrei Torah. This is what we're Meister Nefesh for. It's part and parcel of Kla Yisrael. You can't take the Svarim away from Kla Yisrael. And as we think about this terrible tragedy of the Marame Rutenberg, of Shali Srufa Vaish, of Erev Shabbos Parshas Chukas, Think about all of the svarim that were lost over the years. So all the svarim that there was a mechama keneged them because the mechama keneged the svarim is a mechama keneged klai Yisrael. Shal
Coming towards the end of the kinais, the next one we're going to say is the kina from the Baba Rebbe for the Holocaust, followed by Elitziyin. We'll all say it together. But before we finish, just as a little bit of a siyum, we began the kinas talking about the perspective of the mitzdar b'tzarosim shal Yisrael. But now, three and a half hours later, about. We have to think about where we move on from here. What have we learned? To be sure, may allow. So Zangazuntin Stark relates when he was a young boy, 1942. His father, the Rav of Petrikov in Poland, was taken by the Nazis to the area where they would take them to the to the camps. Ramesha Chaim Lau stood there with his Bekisha, his Kapater, his black beard and he was carrying a Sefer Taira. They were going to be deported to Treblinka and they beat his father. He refused to shave his beard and his payas. He told everyone else that they have to but he had to preserve the dignity of the Rabbanus. His father was beaten and kicked but he stood tall as much as possible as a representative of Tyra. The woman and children had been separated. Israel Meir and his older brother, Shmuel, Melek as they called him, were taken to the big shul in Petrikov and they were beaten over there. And then in the middle of the night, 
the door opened and then the Gestapo came and they had a list of names of people who should come out. And any person whose name was there had to come out immediately. And they read the name Chaya Lau, his mother. But she was waiting to hear her two sons being called too. And they weren't called. So afterwards, as everybody filed out who were called, they said someone whose name was on the list didn't leave. And she got up and she said, Okay, I'm coming, I'm coming. And she slowly made her way to the door and she told her two sons to follow behind her and smush themselves against her, maybe behind the coat she was wearing or something like that, as if they were part of her and they would get smuggled out with her. And they were walking sideways as one out the door, but as close together as they were, it was challenging for all three of them to go out the narrow exit, as really it was only place for one person. And Yisrael Meir walked through, followed by his mother, and his brother, Shmolek, was behind them. And all of a sudden the Nazis noticed somebody, some movement and he knocked Shmuel to the ground away from his mother and he had to stay inside as Yisrael Meir and his mother made their way home. Shmuel was never heard from again. He was taken to Treblinka the next day. And as we know the story of Yisrael Meir Lau as he survived Buchenwald and all the different tr- uh, selections and all the horrors that he survived there. He came to Eretz Yisrael eventually Robin Tel Aviv, chief rabbi of the state of Israel. And he says to himself, he writes, there's a question that plagues and haunts him. Why was my brother taken from, torn from my mother to go to his death while I remained with her and lived? But he writes, he says, not merely why did it happen, but what does Hashem want from me? Hashem gifted me life and what am I supposed to do with it? What's my purpose? Why was I selected to live? And that's the insight of coming out of a kinois is being mitzarbet sarasim shal Yisrael. Mazoyis also Hashem lano. We talked about oynish. We talked about tzidik adin. We talked about mesiris nefesh. But then there comes a point as we come to the other end of the kinois, and that's why are we here? What does the Rebbeinu Shem want from us? My Rebbe Rebrevda once spoke as a bacher right after the war. In his shul, he used to have like a youth Shabbos, and one person, all the kids took over. One was the Gabbai, one was the president, and he was the speaker, the Rav. And uh, he said a vart, he said it was Hanukkah time, and he said that by the nace of Hanukkah, the Pach Shemin really had three Nisim, the Ritva says, happened. Number one is that the, that the Yavanim who were looking for every Pach Shemin didn't find it. Number two is that the Yidin who were so tired, Oye from the Mochama, they found it immediately. And the third one was that it stayed lit for, 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 for eight days. So he said, yes, L'chaira, if you're already making an ace that, they, that, that it's being found, you can make an ace for the, for the eight of them, for eight Pach Shemans. Why was there only one Pach Shemin, and that Pach Shemin needed another ace to stay, stay for eight days? So Revda said, it's a lesson. We're basically telling the Pach Shemen, your whole existence is existence of Nais, so we're mourning from you, Father Zach from you, Nisim. You have to perform Nisim as well. If you exist because of a Nais, you have to live a life of Nais. So your existence is a Nais, you have to act with Nais and life for eight days. And he said to the people over there, it was after the war, not long after the war, there's many survivors. He says, all of us here are Nisim. And the Rabbani Shalom wants us to live lives of Nisim. And the truth is, we've gone through tkufus over here. 
in this morning talking about all different kufas in the history of Kla Yisrael from Chorban Beis Hamikdash and onwards. And the bottom line is that if any one of us is here today, it's because our family wasn't wiped out with the million, 1.1 million people that Josephus says were killed during Chorban Beis Hamikdash, Chorban Beis Rishon and Chorban Beis If we're still here today, it's because we survived the Crusades of 200,000 Yidin who either, or I'm sorry, thousands of Yidin who were massacred during the Crusades. If we're still here today, it's because we survived Tach v'tat. If we're still, if we're here today, it's because we survived the Holocaust, where so many families totally wiped out one person from a city, one person from a family, like the Gemara Sanhedrin talks about. If we're here today, it's because we survived all of this. The only reason any one of us is here today, after going l- learning about all the tsaras that we learned this morning, is only Mamash Anais. It's Pasha Anais, that every person has to wake up every morning and say, my existence is Anais. And if my existence is Anais, Mazois Asa Hashem Lanu is not a question of why did it happen, but what does Hashem want from me? If Hashem put me in this world, Hashem put me here, my life is a nice. What does he want me to do with it? He wants me to live nisim. He wants me to put my kaychas into things. And what's the tzara of all of the tzaras that we've spoken about? What's the kiyom of Kla Yisrael as we spoke about last night? Is Taira. From Churban Bayesheni, we have a shas. From the Crusades, we have the Baliat Taisvis. After Tach Vitat, the Chavetz Chaim said, was an unbelievable renaissance of Taira, the Pnei Yeshur, of Kivayger, Nesivas, some say others, a renaissance of Taira, the, 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 uh, the Chavetz Chaim said, after so much Taira was destroyed in Tach Vitat. After a Holocaust, so much Taira was destroyed, a renaissance of Taira. What the Rabbi Nisham wants from us is a dedication to his Taira, uh, a mysterious nefesh towards his Taira. Learning that if we're here today, it's because it's a nace. This is what the Rabbi Nisham wants from us, to continue to perform nisim in our lives, to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu as a nace serves HaKadosh Baruch Hu. As we said, what started off, what's a nace? A nace is nefila, but then it's a smicha of seimech Hashem, because Kla Yisrael is never down and out. When there's a nefila, there's a smicha, and that performs a nace. Every one of us here is a nace, and we have to say to ourselves, what does the Rabbi Nisham want from me? We're going to now say the kina of the Babu Rebbe for the Holocaust in the Art Scroll Kinois. It is on page 384. I'm sorry, yeah, 384. In the Art Scroll Kinois. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 